Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Oh, what's going on? I'm Brian No, He's Jimmy Cook here on The Fan today. You know what's funny, Jimmy, is for some reason, right before the music played... I had this sneaky feeling this was going to be the song. I don't. I wish my bets worked the same way. <laughs> I had this sneaky feeling those sneaky Rockies would pull it out oh. against the Yankees yesterday. I wish I had the same feelings in gambling, but I swear I had. I'm like, I don't know why I'm feeling crazy train right now. And then Eddie Garrison, boom, right on cue with some crazy train. That was wild. Well, maybe that means that I can tail you today in the hopes that perhaps both of us will have better luck in the betting circles that did not favor us yesterday, especially with that absolutely horrific performance by the New York Yankees. Oh, I think a little bit later in the show, Jimmy, no one cares about our bets. It's Zero. a sad reality, yeah. but it does lead to a thought of mine. Advice for non-gamblers. Okay, so I think there's some value in that. Sure. We'll get to that a little bit later in the show and and lick our wounds in the process. But how about this? DeAndre Hopkins, three-time All-Pro receiver. He's headed to the AFC South. He's going to the Tennessee Titans. Now, it's a little bit weird. The structure of the deal is in place. It's expected to be completed in the next few days. You've got, meanwhile, DeAndre Hopkins tweeting, Tighten up. So it's going to happen. It's just a matter of time, but it's not a done deal yet. Kind of odd, but... We're talking two years, $26 million, could be up to $32 million with incentives. So the Titans, who are really low in the weapons department, they get DeAndre Hopkins, who isn't at his prime, obviously, but I think can help out in being opposite Traylon Burks. That's a nice ad for the Titans there. Yeah, I mean, you need an additional leap, as you mentioned, from Burks, right? A lot was asked from him as a rookie last year with A.J. Brown being no longer in Tennessee and being in Philadelphia, and how do you try to replicate that with an offense that, without A.J. Brown, largely one-dimensional, relying on Derrick Henry in the running game? At first, when I saw this move, I thought about the other contenders in the AFC, the true contenders, the Bengals, the Bills, the Chiefs, and I, I chuckled for a little bit because it's a payday for DeAndre Hopkins. And in my mind, that's really all it is. Big picture, who has a real shot at hoisting Lombardi Trophy next year? And then I started to sit back and really think about what the move means for the rest of the league and more importantly, the rest of the AFC South. Mm-hmm. And it should worry Colts fans because it's another, even though he's not in his prime, top-tier wide receiver that your young, inexperienced cornerback room is going to have to deal with twice a year. So does it shock the league, like really have ripple effects to the hierarchy of where contenders are? No, but it makes the South a little bit more interesting and in turn makes life a little bit harder for the Colts, particularly that secondary. Yeah, and I think it's lazy to compare DeAndre to prime DeAndre. Sure. (laughs) That's what happens a lot where... No, he's not going to be at his peak anymore where he's, you know, we're entering the 30-year-old stage here. So he's not going to be in prime form, but just compare him to other receivers. I would compare him, and all apologies to your IU Hoosiers over there, compare him to Nick Westbrook Akine, who would be the starting receiver opposite Traylon Burks. That's an upgrade with DeAndre Hopkins, who last year in nine games, 
64 catches, over 700 yards, three touchdowns. That's pretty good for DeAndre Hopkins. Again, not prime peak DeAndre, but 64 catches for over 700 yards in nine games. That's better than Akine. Like, a lot better. <laughs> so, so, yeah, facing him in the division a couple of times, it's not ideal for the Colts. But, listen, as the Colts are just trying to find their sea legs and see if Anthony Richardson is the quarterback of the future, I, I'm not, you know, like, just going to bed, crying my eyes out that DeAndre Hopkins is going to the Titans from a Colts perspective, but it's another weapon that you have to deal with now. I look at it from DeAndre Hopkins' standpoint of if you really wanted to, again, a perfect world, if you really wanted to win and have your money, there weren't a ton of spots in this free agent cycle by the time he finally put pen to paper, right? Like most of the true contenders, $2 million, $4 million in cap space could maybe get a little bit more creative with that by adjusting the books or having some more incentives in the contract. But outside of that, you were looking at teams that have money to spend for the wrong reasons because they're not at the level that you would like to be as a 31-year-old wide receiver that is edge of his prime or in his twilight, whichever way. I'll argue either way on that and, and not put up too much of a fight. But that's teams like the Bears, the Panthers, the Colts, the Lions. So for DeAndre Hopkins, like I get it. You are getting another big payday, one last one in the back end of your career, and you have an opportunity to once again be a wide receiver one. But I don't know. If I was a 31-year-old wide receiver, if the money was even a little bit higher at one of those contending teams, I would have been more prompted to be there where I'm asked to be a number two or a number three versus where I'm asked to be a clear-cut number one. I'm going to get the money, but I'm not likely to have championship success in Tennessee. No, I hear you. And you could look at this because it's only a two-year deal, and we'll have to see the 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 structure of this where it could essentially be a one-year deal, mm-hmm. you know. And he's thirty-one years old right now. So to your point, Jimmy, if you look at this as more so a bridge kind of year contract-wise, if you go to a contending team, take a haircut in terms of money right now, but if you put up better numbers, you might actually make out better going forward that way because. Right, you look at who's throwing you the ball, Air Tannehill. Now, DeAndre Hopkins at his peak put up monster numbers with just dudes. (laughs) (laughs) He had a year where he had over uh, 1,100 yards receiving, and it was like Brandon Whedon and Brian Hoyer. It's like, how did he do the TJ Yates started a game? But he's not that guy anymore. So when you look at Ryan Tannehill throwing you the ball, maybe a little Will Levis, we'll see, throwing you the ball. That's not one of the league leaders right there at all. I mean, you'd feel better about it, as you highlighted at the top, if he was in his mid to late 20s. Like, if this is a deal where, okay, you're, you're overpaying a little bit for a wide receiver, but if he was in his mid to late 20s, he'd be demanding more money than this. He would be having, I don't want to say market reset money, but he would be having one of those you know, stereotypical wide receivers always get overpaid type of contract versus this one, which again, we're not going to have the terms yet, but the reports are anywhere from $15 million, potentially a two-year deal uh, without the $15 million in the first year with incentives, depending on how everything gets worked out. But again, it's not a... The long play here for DeAndre is if he has a successful year this year and he gets paid and then he has a decent year in year two, assuming again, it's a clear-cut two-year deal, no... like escape option for either side then he's going to be what 33 Mm -hmm. and at that point 
I guess you could still go to a contender, but you'd have to have shown yourself over this two-year stint in Tennessee that you're still of value. And even then, as a 33-year-old wide receiver with his skill set, you're not getting that type of payday that you're getting here in Tennessee, which, again, isn't riches from a wide receiver standpoint, but it is way more than anybody else was going to pay him in today's current market for what he has on the table. Yeah, and that's the main reason he didn't go to the Patriots is that the Patriots didn't offer the same money. They didn't pony up. That's according to ESPN's Jeremy Fowler. And we remember this, right? Remember the mic'd up footage? This was uh, hard knocks in season with the Arizona Cardinals last year where D-Hop was talking to Bill Belichick. I love this exchange. Glad we only have to play you every four years, man. I love you, man. You too. You too. What a career you're having. You miss half the season. Still going to lead the league in receiving. You know, I do my job, man. Yeah. yeah. I'm trying to get better, man. Man, it's like, I love you. But you too. You notice that DeAndre Hopkins threw out the I love you, and Belichick just said you too. You know, if you throw out the bro I love you and you just get a you too, I feel a little bit let down right there, right? It's the Han Solo treatment right there. It's beautiful. <laughs> beautiful work by the hoodie. But, but they're giving each other major props. Right. It seemed like, well, maybe he goes there. I think about the quarterbacks involved here. This is a a nice get for Ryan Tannehill, who's trying to, who I was talking about this in hockey, stave off elimination. He's trying to stave off Will the Thrill Levis, and getting DeAndre Hopkins helps out quite a bit. Meanwhile, Mac Jones, he's looking at his wide receivers to throw to, and he's like, wow, this is not exactly a who's who right here. They ended up paying larger than I would have expected, though, for a wide receiver, not of the same caliber of DeAndre Hopkins, but... Juju Smith-Schuster is the one coming yeah. through that door for New England. Is that enough for Mac Jones? I mean, once again, it is a insert AFC offense here that is also relying on a solid, stable year from Devontae Parker, who, again, I feel like we've been asking for leaps and bounds for the better part of a decade to, to, to be a, a high-level weapon. And, and he's had peaks and valleys throughout his career. But, yeah, I mean, that, that's what you're looking at in New England. And it's just it's strange to me, given the needs they still have this year, who am I to question Bill Belichick, but why you wouldn't want to overpay for another weapon for this offense when you talk about somebody that maybe doesn't have a clear threat breathing down their neck but has the fear of the axe we're going to cut you or trade you, it's Mac Jones. I would want to continue to try to set him up for as much success as possible if Bill Belichick is still married to this idea of Maybe Mac Jones is our guy. Or who knows? Maybe yeah. it's Bailey Zappi experience once again, right? We we all loved that Monday night game. Wasn't that a fun time for everybody? Yeah, it was. <laughs> it was fun for a second, and then reality set in shortly after that. Uh, I saw a stat that was crazy about Juju Smith-Schuster, where it's one of these nerd stats, but there's value in it. So it's yards after catch. It's obviously important, right? Your receiver, how many yards do you pick up after the catch? So it's yards after catch over expected, right? So it's a little wordy. Sure. If you could uh, pick up expected like five yards, but you actually do better than that, it's okay. You're going to be one of the league leaders. So Juju Smith-Schuster was actually fifth in that category last season, which was surprising to me. And look at who is around him. Again, yards after catch over expected last season. Jalen Waddle with the Dolphins. A.J. Brown with Philly. Jamar Chase, we know what he does with the Bengals after the catch. And Debo Samuel. 
Juju Smith-Schuster was in that group. I was surprised to see that. And he played for your Chiefs last year, Jimmy. He did, and the biggest knock on Juju prior to that was he had that great breakout year in 2018 and then fizzled out. And my bang-on-the-table argument, Chiefs homerism be damned last year, was Ben Roethlisberger hasn't been Ben Roethlisberger for about four seasons, and it's not all Juju's fault. Now, granted, he also dealt with injuries in 2021, but he plays in four, he starts 14 and plays in 16 games last year, a little less than 1,000 yards in an offense where he was not the number one option. At times, he was the number two or number three option. So, again, you're happy as a 26-year-old. He gets a payday. I think it's $11 million a year for two years, or it might be $16 million. I don't have the figure in front of him, but he gets a payday, and he cashes out as a 26-year-old. For Hopkins, again, maybe we misjudged where his priorities were. I know there's familiarities there with Vrabel, and he clearly liked the idea of playing in Tennessee, but I, I don't know. I just If I was a 31-year-old wide receiver in this league and I had made the money to this point that DeAndre Hopkins has made, mm-hmm. I would have been more tempted to ring chase. He doesn't want to do that. More power to him. He wants the money, and he's got the banter of tighten up already in his vernacular, so good for him. <laughs> What are the worst slogans also, right? <laughs> Can we be honest for a second? Tighten up is just, it's awful. Is it not? It's, Finn's, I love Finn's. I'm biased. I'm a Dolphins sure. fan. Finn's up is I like is the same way one with, with my team name yeah. in there, but, but, but just tighten it, up. It rolls thing. off the tongue way better. <laughs> Finn's up. Finn's up or tighten up. Do we know who was first to the party? I don't care. I, I don't. For I'm me, not sure. Okay, look, I, I'm not just. I'm not just pandering to you. For the audience uh-huh. here, yes, I like fins up. I I, I, I will give the nod there. I there like fins go. up over tighten up. Fins up is way better than tighten up. But Come why on, it's look. why it's cringeworthy for either side, but particularly the tighten up is because you know there was a marketing campaign where they sat in meetings for like three plus hours <laughs> to come up with that. That wasn't just hey Bill, what do you think? Tighten up, yeah, I love it. Like this was a whole focus group about right. this. That's what makes it worse for me. There was research. Yes, there was. Was, uh, I'm sure test balloons, you know, <laughs> and they're like, this is it. Let's go with that. Print all kinds of stuff. Banners, T-shirts, Towels, bumper stickers. Yes. It. And that's the new thing. Now, um, let's bring it back to the Colts here, Jimmy. You cannot have a drastically different reaction if DeAndre is a Colt versus DeAndre not being a Colt. Is that not fair? I understand there's going to be a little bit of difference where, okay, let's 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 say uh, a diehard Colts fan. DeAndre Hopkins goes to the Colts. Oh, opposite Michael Pittman Jr. This is nice. Yada, yada. You're off and running. You're excited. He goes to a division rival. It can't be, ah, who cares? He's a shell of himself. It can't be a Grand Canyon-sized difference. I'll allow a little bit of grace because of fandom, but it can't be night and day between the two. I appreciate you clarifying that because at first I thought you were saying that if you had the Colts to win, let's just say eight games this year, like as an unbiased party member, and now DeAndre Hopkins in Tennessee, and now you only have him winning six games. Like you couldn't react that way. But you're talking about the fan base, which happens so often where you're like, oh, I'd love to have that guy. And then he goes to a rival. You're like, ah, hey, he's washed anyway. That's yeah. what you're talking about. Right. That's, you know, yeah. Yeah. No, I totally agree. There's no, you cannot be hypocritical about this. If you were a Colts fan that, dreamed about the idea of having him come into town it's not like oh well i mean it ha- by week eight if he's playing bad then you can say that and act like that's what you wanted the whole time but today the day after the signing was announced oh no it's fine he's he's trash anyway no that you're lying to yourself you're coping i respect the ability to cope but don't do that no yeah exactly we've got a deadline today as well brian no and jimmy cook with you here 93.5 and 107.5 the fan 
the, it might as well be the running back deadline. It's uh, players that have received the franchise tag. The deadline is 4 p.m. Eastern, Jimmy, for them to work out a long-term extension with their team. And so you've got a couple of big names, Saquon Barkley, Josh Jacobs, who was sensational for the Raiders last season, and Tony Pollard of the Cowboys. Tony Pollard's not expected to sign a long-term extension. And we get these reports with Saquon. (laughs) Saquon's got new representation. And the Giants reportedly are like, yeah, we don't want to engage in in new talks. (laughs) Like, what? Like, the running back position, Jimmy. And Jonathan Taylor's a part of this. He hasn't received the franchise tag, but he's looking for a long-term extension. It just gets worse and worse each year. Uh, It's baffling to me how bad it's gotten. I mentioned this on Friday. We talked about how, for Calvin Ridley, he didn't work as a poster child for the gambling scandal. Like We thought when that happened that, okay, players around the league are going to understand, hey, we can't do this, otherwise the hammer's coming down. In that same vein and how that ties back to this situation, I thought that it was kind of agreed upon after Le'Veon Bell gave up $14 million to not play for the Steelers back in 2018 Mm. and was never the same player after that. I I thought that there was a consensus around the NFL that, I'm sorry, the NFL wins this round. You you can't, there's no way to fight it as a player. Like I am all for player empowerment and, and players being able to dictate terms to some extent of their careers. This is a losing battle that's never going away. And so while I appreciate the chess match that Saquon Barkley might be trying to put on here, the reports that he, he might not even report for week one, teams know that, okay, we're not paying you then. We don't have to pay you $14 million? Okay, or $10 million in this case. Enjoy Cancun, Saquon. We'll see you next year. Like, there, there, there's no out. Yeah. And this very well might be what, like, I, we warned people about this last week, and, and you're drawing the parallels too, as you should, which is this is a very real reality depending on the type of year Jonathan Taylor has and whether or not an extension is done beforehand before we get to next year where that's where a tag could come into play and then the same drama could potentially play out here in Indianapolis. It's not good for either side. It's a miserable experience. New York is the party that's enjoying that right now, as is Las Vegas and, I guess, Dallas as well. It's it's just gotten so bad for the running back market. And you brought up a great name, Le'Veon Bell. Imagine if Le'Veon Bell, who sat out an entire season when he was with the Steelers, imagine if that worked out for Le'Veon. It did not. (laughs) Imagine if the Steelers like significantly missed him like crazy and they crumbled to a then like, I don't know, four in 12 record. You know, you remember back in the day when Emmett Smith, he sat out the first two games and they lost both of those games. And this was, I forget all the details, but I think it was after they won their first Super Bowl. I forget the timeline exactly. But he sat out the first two games. The Cowboys lost both of them. And the Cowboys were like, we need to get this guy back right away. That was in the early 90s, Jimmy. The latest example we have is Le'Veon Bell sitting out an entire season. It ends up like really hurting Le'Veon Bell. The money he would have made, what would have happened. He never recouped that money at all. And now we get today the headline, Le'Veon Bell apologizes to Steelers fans for leaving Pittsburgh. (laughs) So you're right. If Saquon and the rumors have been out there that he might sit out week one against the Cowboys, 
And these teams just shrug their shoulders like, uh, okay, all right. Like They don't even take it as a real threat. These running backs have no leverage. I hate it, but that's the reality. I will say, the difference between Bell and at the time why I admired at least what he tried to do, but at some point, by the time he got to like, there were certain deadlines that he had to hit as the season wore on where the penalty wouldn't have been as severe. At some point, it was like, man, there's, you, you got to just take your money. Like, there's not, not going to change anything. I appreciate what you're fighting for here. That was the second time he'd been tagged. He'd already been tagged the previous year and had had another solid campaign to where it's like, okay, I, I think I deserve to finally be rewarded for my efforts. And the Steelers are like, now nah, we're good. Here's a tag. And he tried to fight it. But again, it didn't work out. He did initially, at least on face value, it's like, oh, he got the win because he got a four-year, $52.5 million deal from the Jets. Only problem is he only saw about $30 million ish of that because they cut him after the second year because of how porous he was in New York. So it's just it's horror story after horror mm. story for running backs. And I do. I, I feel bad for them because unless you – have that perfect mixture of age and of situation and of timing, you're unlikely to get an extension and you have to fight on the tag. That is what, again, no one knows, but that's what I'm hoping for with this, with Jonathan Taylor, at least for his sake, because he is at a sweet spot age, even though he has all those extra miles from Wisconsin. He's at a nice age in his career where a three or four year extension doesn't really make you have full regret as long as you're not overpaying to appease an agent or to appease the player himself. Yeah, and look at the season Saquon is coming off of. He's 26 years old, Jimmy. He had a career-high 1,312 rushing yards. He had 1,650 yards from scrimmage and 10 touchdowns, all on the ground. That's a great season. The Giants had one of the more surprising seasons all of last year. We weren't expecting them to be a playoff team, and Saquon Barkley was a big part of that. And, and they don't even, the Giants don't even want to re engage in talks now that Saquon has new representation. That is unbelievable to me. I know it's not anywhere close to the quarterback market, or, I mean, name it. It's like the cornerback market, the wide receiver market, the left tackle market. Imagine if there was one of the league leaders in those other positions. He's got new representation, and the team was like, we don't care. We still don't want to talk. (laughs) Wow. That's where we are with running backs. There's one other thing I want you to hear. So this is Austin Eckler, Chargers running back. He was a guest on the Rich Eisen Show. Now listen to the case he makes about himself and other running backs who are putting up numbers compared to backup wide receivers and how the money doesn't quite shake out in a way that makes sense to him. It comes down to comparing, right? Let's let's see what the real value add to a team is. You know, if I'm if I'm looking at some of the backup receivers out here that are still making more than me and that that's going to piss me off, right? I'm I'm a little bit I'm like, "Okay, wait a minute. So you're telling me these people or the or the number 3 receiver is going to make more than me and I'm the starter, I get more carries, I touch the ball more, I have more of an impact." It's causes us to question, right? We're going to fight for that. We're going to fight for, hey, I'm bringing more value to the team than this person. I think I should be compensated for that. He, he's right. <laughs> but it's not the way it works. It's maddening, right? Where If you look at Austin Eckler, he's a great uh, example here where he, he's not 30 yet. He's getting closer. He's 28 right now. Just turned 28 a couple of months ago. And uh, if you look at the arguments against running backs getting paid – 
It's, well, they, they could get hurt. There's a lot of wear and tear. If I'm Austin Eckler, I'm like, but I didn't get hurt. Like, I had 107 <laughs> catches last year. I had over 200 carries. Meanwhile, my teammates, he's not going to throw them under the bus. But if we're talking about injuries, uh, Mike Williams? Keenan Allen. <laughs> Keenan Allen? And you're talking about me. Well, what if I get hurt? I'm not getting hurt, and I'm still not getting the money just because of the possibility of me breaking down? It's crazy. I'd be pulling my hair out if I was a running back right now. I understand why these guys are, are at a loss with what's going on with the market here. Eckler is the most unique of all of these running backs that have either made their voice heard during this process, because for me, I wanted to check to make sure I had his contract situation, right? So he signed what turned out to be a four year, $24 million deal back in 2020. And he was age 25 when he did that deal. And it was, I'm going to have to, I don't have time in this segment to do it, but where it puts him now, big picture is he's the 12th highest paid running back per year, average per year salary in the National Football League, making around 6.1. Why that is gross for me is even though he doesn't dominate as like a, a wrecking ball down by down as maybe Jonathan Taylor or, or Derrick Henry or Christian McCaffrey maybe even, he does the second part of that equation, which usually gets you paid, which is he's a phenomenal pass catcher. Right. He is utilized as a dual threat running back in that Los Angeles offense. And so they're going to be at a point too where he knows and why he's going to to bat on the Rich Eisen show right now is next year that's the same vote for him. He's an unrestricted free agent. He'll be 29 at that point in time. And even if you're a great pass catcher, that's where you start to get legitimate danger zone category. You also mentioned the 30-year mark. And we discussed this last week too. That used to be, at least when I was growing up, the age mark of, well, if they go north of 30 as a running back, you're going to want to you know, cash out while you can. That's moved three years now. It's now 27 years old is where people are like, oh, maybe we need to just be careful with how we're paying these guys because that is the range. It's not 30 anymore. It's late 20s to where people are like, well, you've been in the league a long time and you might get hurt. So we need to be careful with what type of funds we're going to allocate towards you. Yeah, man, it's uh, it's the Rodney Dangerfield position is really what it is. They can't get any respect right now, <laughs> and, and there's, I don't see what changes it. I, I really don't uh, because this is just the market. This is what it is, and teams are going to try to skimp at that position. But if you run across a, a rare talent, a productive talent, I don't understand why the market is this slim like it is this barren i have a theory there's just not money around What's i have a theory, theory on it the theory is that the best running backs the very best running backs of the last five years for the most part have all been on bad teams and they've been on bad teams to a point where these teams are like well we have a one successful or two successful weapons on offense and one of them just happens to be our running back and he's what we would consider otherworldly let's pay him a ridiculous amount of money that he's earned and we'll try to build around him and see if we can build a football team that way. And the teams that have tried to do that have been the likes of the Titans. The Panthers should be on this list, but the 49ers are so immune to any type of high-level contract because of how good their offense is. They turn Christian McCaffrey into a smart money deal over there. Kamara's with the Saints. Nick Chubb's with the Browns. Joe Mixon's with the Bengals, and that's an exception there because the Bengals are talented all across the board. So is he. 
Aaron Jones is with the Packers. Like those are your five highest paid running backs right now in the league. And most of them are on bad teams that either paid them because it's a ticket seller, it's a franchise piece, and we want to build around him, or it's, well, we have the cap space. This guy's young. Let's do it. And then they have bad either ownership qualities or they have bad team building personnel where the deal looks horrendous and your contenders look around and are like, well, we had a deep playoff run. And we had Isaiah Pacheco, a seventh round pick out of Rutgers as our running back. Oh, we're fine. We don't need to worry about that. Or we'll do it by committee like the Eagles do. So that's, I think, an overcorrection has happened in the market where good contending teams know as long as they have a good offensive line, they can get it done with a middle of the pack running back as long as they're able to have better key playmakers in other positions. Yeah, listen, there's something to that where there hasn't been that upper echelon top guy be on a Super Bowl winning team lately. I I mentioned Emmitt Smith earlier in this same discussion. That was a long time ago, Mm -hmm. right? That's we're Some of those, the first two rings, we're talking 30 years ago (laughs) in the 90s. So that's, that's three decades that we're looking at here, and you could go year by year, and you're going to have to squint. You're going to have to squint for a guy who's like an Emmett Smith type status, where that was the big three. It was Troy Aikman, it was Michael Irvin, it was Emmett Smith. Who's the team where it's like, oh, it's the big three? It's Mahomes, it's Travis Kelsey, and it's who? C E H? You know what I mean? It's Isaiah Pacheco now. It's not the same thing. So there's a ripple effect. You might be onto something. All right, we got a lot to do over here. We've got. Uh, goodness. Uh, I ran across an interesting list as far as the uh, non-quarterback MVPs for all 32 teams. We'll dive into that right around the corner because there's something interesting as far as the Colts go. That's on the way. I'm Brian No, He's Jimmy Cook. It's 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. I'm Brian No, He's Jimmy Cook here on The Fan. Man, our guy Eddie Garrison back with us. Took a little journey down south, went to Florida, and visited some Bucky's rest stops, which are just fantastic did you enjoy those rest stops there eddie oh it's organized chaos that's the best way i could describe it can i hijack the segment for a second since bucky's is up for debate now uh my wife is now wanting to go to bucky's make a trip so that we can go experience bucky's once Uh it was it worth it oh yeah it's worth it okay oh yeah it is all right it's an experience you got food yep drinks it's for anyone who hasn't been there it's gigantic <laughs> it's it's i don't know how many football fields this is but you go into just your regular rest stop and you know get some gas go to the bathroom maybe pick up something to drink you walk in there and you smell like barbecue sandwiches and <laughs> there's stuffed animals and like places to take selfies you're like what it's is like the size happening of walmart here? It's enormous, man. It's crazy. Well, crazy. That, that'll definitely be a, a Cook family adventure at some point because I'm already getting questions about it from my wife and mother-in-law taking a trip to Bucky's. They were especially jealous because Eddie got to experience some Bucky's uh, during Not his trip. Not once, but twice. Twice, man. Doubling down. I love hit it. Hit it on the way there and hit it on the way back. The funny thing is, last year, my girl and I, we went, I think the first time we went, it was to a Falcons game. And we're just driving, and 
it just so happened where we're like, hey, let's stop here. <laughs> we stopped and we're like, what is this? <laughs> so I think it's even better when you just blindly stumble onto it, you know? But uh, either way, you get any merch there, Eddie? Anything? Uh, I did not. We got some merch last year, though, when we stopped by. We got some uh, cups. So we've got cups at the house that we use. And then uh, I think she got a shirt. Uh, Olivia, my girlfriend, I think she got a shirt, but I think that's all that we bought in terms of merch. Yeah. Hey, not bad. I do have a, a Bucky stuffed animal laying around. We, we went all in. Ooh, you got the beaver? We, yeah, we got the beaver right there. We had to get it. <laughs> Bucky the beaver. Okay, so I ran across this list on The Athletic, Jimmy. So this is the non-quarterback MVPs for all 32 teams. And I thought there were a few things to take away from this. Otherwise First, known as the Offensive or Defensive Player of the Year Awards, as we said, we more <laughs> yeah, commonly refer to Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, pretty much, yeah. Uh, so for the Colts, they went with Jonathan Taylor. And James Boyd did the write-up, and he just wrote a few things like, this is going to greatly help Anthony Richardson's development. And when you're able to run the ball effectively, it's going to take some pressure off his shoulders. Obviously, I'm paraphrasing, but that's what he was going for. And I just stopped and I thought about this. And I looked at the teams that had a running back as their non-QB MVP. There were six teams, okay? Now, you tell me if you agree with any of this stuff or whatever your takeaway is. Bijan Robinson with the Falcons, James Conner with the Cardinals, obviously Jonathan Taylor previously mentioned, Travis Etienne with the Jags, Ramondre Stevenson for the Patriots, and then Christian McCaffrey with the 49ers. So my first takeaway is you might be able to make a counter argument with like Travis Etienne. Maybe you go with uh, Christian Kirk, Evan Ingram. There's an argument to be made there. But if I'm looking at the Colts specifically, I'm like, I want the the non-quarterback MVP to be a wide receiver if there's a rookie quarterback in place, which there is. And it's no slight to Jonathan Taylor, obviously, but... If you compare it to a team like Seattle who has DK Metcalf, look at Seattle's weapons. You've got DK, you've got uh, a couple other receivers where Tyler Lockett is there. Mm-hmm. They just drafted Jackson Smith and Jigba out of Ohio State, one of the 19 first rounders that CJ Stroud had over there, but you I digress. The, we got the V there. <laughs> oh, yeah, penalty. Might have, might have done that on purpose there with <laughs> them being nine point favorites on the road against the Irish. But, but. I, I would much rather have that type of supporting cast than the non-quarterback MVP is a running back. I, I, I just that's not a great formula for success, in my opinion. I'd rather have the top wideout than the top running back. Well, right it now. ties back to our conversation last segment of why running backs are being undervalued in this league or, or why they are being labeled with the monetary value that they are, which is because we can look at a non-MVP list and be upset. And I agree with you. I would rather have the wide receiver as well. We can be upset that it's a running back leading the charge and not a wide receiver. That's how far things have fallen for running backs in this league. But I don't disagree with you because if I was going to be looking at my young quarterback or my rookie quarterback and one of the marks on him is, well, his completion percentage or just his ability to stay accurate over the course of a game. I would want to have high volume pass catchers that are reliable, that are clear and cut MVPs. The other side of this coin though, and this doesn't take anything away from Jonathan Taylor because James isn't wrong. He's the best player on this football team right now. There's not Michael Pittman jr. Has not done enough 
over the course of his career to prove to me or even lead me to buy into the idea he's going to be the best player on this team in 2023. But again, not a shot at Jonathan Taylor. It speaks more volumes to we don't know enough about this wide receiver room because of how bad the quarterback play has been the last four or five years. That's the Colts' fault, but it's not Michael Pittman Jr.'s fault. It's not Alec Pierce's fault. So while I'm with you, I would like it to be a wide receiver if I was choosing a non-quarterback MVP. It can't be in this situation because Jonathan Taylor is the only one on this roster that's proven he belongs in any type of non-QB MVP conversation. Yeah, man, there's so much there because you could go back and forth a couple of different ways. I hear you that Michael Pittman Jr.'s numbers are going to be better with a better quarterback. Like, that's just obvious. But we also started the show talking about DeAndre Hopkins, and he's putting up monster numbers (laughs) with dudes that aren't even close to as good as even Matt Ryan last year. It sounds crazy to say that, but it's true. As bad as Matt Ryan was, I'd take him over Brandon Whedon. I'd take him over TJ Yates. You know, DeAndre Hopkins had 11 touchdown catches in a season with those guys throwing him the football. So while I do hear you that a better quarterback would help Bittman Jr.'s numbers, he's shown that he's not like DeAndre Hopkins type special. We know that. There's layers to it, right? And it's the old, is he really a wide receiver number one or is he a number one because he's top of the depth chart, right? There's a clear difference between that. And yeah, it's a great point. If you're an elite wide receiver, your numbers, of course, would be better with an elite quarterback. But if you're one of the best, you would have the ability to, oh my gosh, how did he make that play like out of this world type of highlights that just aren't as occurring for Michael Pittman Jr. over this stretch as it was with the laundry list of quarterbacks that DeAndre Hopkins had to deal with in Houston over his time there before Deshaun Watson came into town. And then they had a brief, you know, connection together in terms of the offense and how it flowed and they had a playoff appearance out of it and had a division title. So yeah, there's there's layers to that of separation. And it's why it's all the more concerning for me of how much better will Michael Pittman Jr. be with a high-level quarterback? I, I want him to. And again, that's let me backtrack high level. We'll say a better quarterback than what he had last year. Like, how is he going to play for an Anthony Richardson, assuming Richardson is better than what the Colts threw out there last year? Because the other philosophy of thinking about this, Brian, is the Packers' philosophy of things, which is Devontae Adams, they finally had as an elite wide receiver, but they didn't spend all of their time trying to find top-of-the-line, must-have wideouts year-over-year-over-year because they felt like Aaron Rodgers is good enough to elevate Mm. the wide receiving room to new heights. And look at what happened last year where his numbers plummeted off of two straight MVP seasons, and then his touchdown numbers dropped, like his interception numbers were rising, and... I mean, that had a lot to do with the young guns around him, completely inexperienced. Um, But I also think going back to the list, you know, if you look at a team like the Cowboys, their non-MVP, non-quarterback MVP, I should say, is Micah Parsons, which makes a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. The guy is just a wrecking ball defensively. But think about who Dak has to throw to. You've got C.D. Lamb. It's pretty good. You've got Brandon Cooks. It's pretty good. (laughs) You've got a good... Uh, a couple of weapons there. And so that's what I think about when you bring it back to the Colts. If Anthony Richardson doesn't pop, we could say this. You would start looking closer at Pittman Jr. and Alec Pearson saying, maybe it's them. You know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. they haven't risen to the level 
where you could say if Anthony Richardson sputters initially, you look and you say, nah, it's on him. Like he's got good enough weapons to throw to where if his numbers aren't good, it's him. You don't have that with the Colts right now when you compare it to other like wide receiver duos or trios if you involve the tight end. That's not where the Colts are right now. I've said this before, and I still believe it, again, barring an incredible turnaround from that wide receiver room this year. I do not think the wide receiver one that is going to be the Robin to an Anthony Richardson Batman is on this team right now. And it's the same. If Not every team is like this, but if I'm trying to do the guesswork of a front office of, okay, where around the league was it year two or year three by the time the front office realized we need a weapon. We need a difference maker for this quarterback. And you've seen it in two prime examples the last couple of years. It's the acquisition of Stephon Diggs to Buffalo to have Josh Allen have his number one wide receiver. And it's the acquisition of A.J. Brown by the Eagles via the Titans to pair him up with Jalen Hurts. And both had immediate results and both transformed those offenses to new heights. So it is very much a drifting away from the MVP conversation and more towards a team building conversation. It is very much an audition year for Michael Pittman Jr. Not just because it's a contract year for him and maybe they would still want to retain him. But if he wants to be a wide receiver one in this league, if that's truly how he views himself, this is your dance floor to operate under failure underneath this stretch with Anthony Richardson. If he's able to show you have the, he has the goods and Pittman Jr. Doesn't rise to the occasion. He's either going to have to be comfortable with a wide receiver two role or he's going to have a home elsewhere in a couple seasons. Yeah. Okay. Coming up next, Jimmy, a little advice for the non-gamblers out there. How big of a percentage of, a, of the audience do you think uh, are non-gamblers right now? What's your best ballpark guess? 20. 20. <laughs> I don't know. I'm always bad with these. Like, Because I, like, I'm always terrible with this, but I feel like... Here's what here's my sample size with twenty. Uh-huh. I can't find like four or five. Like if I'm in a sports bar and I'm talking people up, usually they have bets. So that's a small sample size <laughs> being in a sport. But yeah, like the, yeah, usually there's action on play on an NFL Sunday on Wimbledon. Like like yeah. So I don't know. What, what do you think? You I don't know. I really don't. I, it's I'm not sure. I'd feel uncomfortable 30%? saying half. Like I, I, yeah. I feel like there's no way it's half. There are a lot of people who gamble. There are a lot of people who gamble. Who listen to sports radio? <laughs> there are some that don't, you know. And so I've got a little advice. You might sign off on this around the corner for the non gamblers out there. We'll have some fun. Uh, stick with us. I'm Brian, though. He's Jimmy Cook. It's 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Whether it's audiobooks or all time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at kisqali.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. I'm Brian No, He's Jimmy Cook here on The Fan. So, Jimmy, oh my gosh. I'm not a Yankees fan, but I was for a day yesterday. I like to say my July 16th Yankees. You know, it was just for the day. What I was betting on them. <laughs> and uh, they were playing the Rockies, and they crashed and burned. It was cruel and unusual punishment for anybody who had money on the Yankees yesterday. And so one of my friends, I thought one of my friends, this guy named Josh Albrecht. I really okay? thought you were going to name drop me. I was like, oh, that's great. Well done on you. <laughs> <laughs> well, as uh, the so-called friend, the supposed friend, I tweeted something where I'm like, man, that game was just cruel punishment. 
And his response was, seems to be your trend. <laughs> All right, let me explain something for the non-gamblers out there. This is the worst possible comment you could make. I really think it's the equivalent of if your girl says, hey, do you think I've gained some weight? And you say, yeah, you look like a house right now. (laughs) I really think it's the equivalent of that because you're saying you stink at picking games. And it's not just that you lost – your emotions were toyed with, and we can go to the Cliff's Notes version of this Yankees game. After all of this, you lose? The money you thought you had is just yanked away from you, and a supposed friend says, seems to be your trend. <laughs> You're an awful human being if you post something like that. I'm just going to cut to the chase. That's what it is. Man, I, I hate to call out another person in this room, but that feels like the type of comment Eddie Garrison would throw my way <laughs> if, I, if I was struggling. I, am I wrong on that, good sir? That feels like the kind of I thing you... I think you're a little wrong. I, I wouldn't go that You wouldn't far. zing me like that? I that's, would not that's go out of character? that Okay, far. my bad. I'm sorry. <laughs> I withdraw the comment. You just have to. Just so we're all on the same page, very brief recap of this Yankees game. Okay, you might not care about the Yankees. Maybe you care about gambling, but you care about a story. Okay, picture Jimmy and I twisting and turning with the July 16th Yankees yesterday. Okay, so this emotional roller coaster. Keep this in mind as it plays out. And then a supposed friend zings you at the end of it. The Yankees, they can't score to save their lives. Their offense, Jimmy, goodness. This is not breaking news. They've been rough this season. Awful. They scratch together three runs. They're up 3-1. And it's a game that Garrett Cole is pitching. And so you're like, all right, we're looking good. It's the eighth inning. They're up 2-1. The Yankees hit a grand... The the Rockies hit a grand slam. (laughs) A grand slam! So you're down 5-3. You're like, oh, gosh. It just got yanked away. Thanks, Tommy Canely. I know nobody cares, but yeah, thanks. Ninth inning. Yankees score a run. Yankees, I believe, had the bases loaded, Jimmy. Yep. Sack fly gets the the game tied. The runner at second tries to go to third. He gets thrown out to end the inning. So they're like, well, okay, not ideal, but they scored. They tied it up. We're still alive. Rockies don't score. We go to the 10th. Same thing. The inning starts off. The runner on second gets thrown out at third immediately to start off the inning. Like two straight innings getting thrown out at third base. Tough luck for my guy Peraza. They hit into a double play. Yanks didn't score in the top of the 10th. We're in bad shape, Jimmy. Like Regular season, runner starts at second. Good night. (laughs) We're not looking good at all. The Rockies don't score. We got new life, Jimmy. We're back in this thing. Let's go. Yankees score. They score again. They're up 7-5. We might pull this thing out. Nope. Immediately, the Rockies hit a two-run homer and then go on to hit a solo shot to win the game. And I haven't heard the play-by-play call. Maybe oh, you have, Jimmy. Yes, oh, have. yes, I have. have I? And by the way, <laughs> yes. a couple things. I don't, know if I don't know if you have this or if we're playing this or not, but a couple <laughs> things. Again, this is stuff nobody cares about, but like I've always enjoyed John Flaherty. Never knew that he had play-by-play chops within him, and clearly he didn't, as you'll hear in this clip if we actually have it. And if not, then we'll spare you it. But anyway, uh, Ryan Rucco wasn't there. My okay wasn't there. John Flaherty, usually a color analyst, usually a studio analyst, is in the play-by-play chair. The... First home run that Brian's talking about that tied this game up was. Or do you have it? Do you want to play it or my? I, I don't have okay, it. Okay, so the Yankee call popped up is the phrase that it said <laughs> on a four thirty shot to dead center or whatever it is out at Coors Field. Popped up 
was the friend. It was silent until he realizes, oh, it's not popped up. And oh, it's not. Shoot. It's yeah. gone. Yeah. And then on the game winning home run. Do you have this one, Brian? No, I don't have either of them. Do you have it? I heard it. Okay, I have it. Like I know what it was. Whoever the whoever the batter was that hit this walk off home run, the right. phrase was got 120 at bats, has yet to hit a home run pitch. Until now, <laughs> Yankees lose nine or eight seven final. Unreal. It was it was brutal on all experiences. The one takeaway for our listeners that don't care much, everybody loves some Yankee misery. It just happens to be mixed in with Brian No and Jimmy Cook uh, bet losses as well. Well, and that's the thing. So after all of this, like, uh, we're going to win. Uh, we're going to lose. No, we're going to win. No, we lost. Like, just up, down, up, down. Seems to be your trend is the response <laughs> after all that. Are you kidding me? Like, here's the thing. Would you ever say this? If you're like, man, I just got fired. Seems to be your trend. <laughs> man, I just got dumped. Seems to be your trend. You're having a little bit of problems with the ladies over there. No. No one would ever say that. But for some reason with betting, for the non-gamblers, that just tells me he's a non-gambler. No gambler would say that. You I know, mean, like, it, they wouldn't cut that deep. It feels like that's the kind of line that you would get if you're like, from a from a comparative standpoint, because the examples you gave are extremes, but to a gambler, it probably does resonate on that level. Oh. Would be like if you're three putting all day and you're like, man, I just can't figure out my putter. That seems to be your trend. Like 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 a shot a buddy would give you on the golf course. So I'm assuming with this so-called friend relationship, he's not making that statement out of pocket unless there's a real bond there versus me like, you know, just to a random guy that's posted pics like, ah, seems to be your trend, friend. If you need a good laugh, here's the re- here's the tele- television oh. call of the, uh, the game winner. Okay. Treyo, 120 at-bats, does not have a home run this year. John, why? <laughs> That's really well done. But yes, network right there is the credit. How, how about if if we put our our thinking caps on here? You know, let, let's pool our resources here. Let's let's come up with a list of appropriate responses. If you just got your heart yanked out and you thought you were going to win and you don't, and you post something like, "Man, that was a tough beat." Appropriate responses would be something like, "Man, that sucks." You know, something like that. I have a, Seems to be your trend. <laughs> I, I have a go-to. So I have a buddy that's a diehard Purdue fan. I obviously went to Indiana. And I I held back. I didn't do it after their loss in the tournament. I did not pull this out. But uh-huh. it's from How I Met Your Mother, a sitcom from the 2000s. They have a bit within the show called a condolence five a guy really likes high fives and he's trying to have condolence high fives be a thing and there's just jiff where the friend that thought it was lame something bad happens to the friend that thought it was cool and he's like my condolences and he gives a high five up so that's what i send whenever i'm being like tongue-in-cheek to a, a buddy who has experienced a tremendous sports loss or gambling loss i think you either go positive something like you'll rally You'll get them next time. Or or misery loves company like, oh, dude, I lost money on that one, too. Or just your common, yeah, that sucks, man. Oh, that's brutal. You know, there's no greeting card section at Hallmark for gambling losses. I don't know if that's like an underrated market untapped, they need to get into or what. Untapped yeah. resource right there. Absolutely. But uh, when you swing the other way and seems to be your trend, not only did you lose this one, you've lost other heartbreakers that I'd like to remind you of. 
oh my gosh, I, I got to delete this guy's number right away. I got to block him right that, away. That's a that's a radio silence. I'd say for at least at least a couple days, <laughs> at minimum. No doubt. All right, coming up next, our guy Scott Agnes. Let's- Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Stocks and Pacers, a little bit of Summer League uh, with them and beyond. That's on the way. I'm Brian No, He's Jimmy Cook. It's 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. I'm Brian No, He's Jimmy Cook here on The Fan. I want to welcome in Scott Agnes. Covers the Pacers for Fieldhouse Files. Also, 107.5thefan.com. Obviously, we'll I'll talk some Pacers, some Summer League, all that good stuff. But uh, Eddie Garrison playing some Elvis right there, Scott. Have you seen the movie? Are you an Elvis fan at all? <laughs> I have not. I was not aware there was a movie. And uh, no, no, not not my genre as much. How about you? I have seen it. Jimmy, have you seen that movie? Not seen the movie, but I, 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 do, I do like some Elvis classics. Jailhouse I'll, I'll, Rock, Hound Dog, yeah. Okay. Not not totally a spoiler over here, but Tom Hanks' accent in that movie is annoying as hell. Oh, it's so annoying. <laughs> and it might be perfect. It might be exactly who Elvis's manager was. I have no idea, but featuring Tom Hanks too much for my money. What is in your musical wheelhouse there, Scott? For me, I'm big into summer country concerts, so I'm looking forward to that now, hopefully with the off-season Entering off-season mode a little bit. So, uh, you know, your Luke Combs, Morgan Wallen, uh, you know, anything like that. Luke Bryan, that's more up my street. He's a Swifty, too, by the way, Brian. Really? Can't forget about that one. Nice. <laughs> what, what is, I got to go down this road for a second. What's the crazy, because I'm a heavy metal fan. So there's crazy okay. stuff that happens at metal concerts all the time. What's the craziest thing fit for the airwaves that you've seen at one of these con- uh, country like shows? <laughs> Nothing too reckless. Honestly, it's probably something that's just, you know, you're in the parking lot up there at Ruoff Home Mortgage Center, and it had just been raining after before, so it's muddy, and people are in boots, and, and a couple of wipeouts is probably the most that I can think of right there. But that's You feel bad for them, because how miserable is that? But Yeah. Um, yeah, those, those are my favorite. The, the sad thing, though, is most of the concerts are in the fall. So we're already, what, halfway through what most people consider summer, and there's really only been like one. I got to tell you a quick story here real fast, uh, Scott and Jimmy. So I was at a metal show in Nashville one time, and it was Slayer! It was uh, one of the bands in concert. But they there was a guy in a wheelchair who was crowd surfing. In his wheelchair. <laughs> They're just passing him. And the song ended in Tom Araya. He's the bassist and the singer. And he goes, did you guys see that? We just witnessed a miracle right here. Like That was the craziest thing I've seen in concert. Love that. And it's fit for the airwaves, too. Imagine that at a metal show. Um, yeah, no kidding. Yeah. Okay, uh, how about um, if you turn your attention to Summer League, Pacers, Jairus Walker. I, I don't know if I can go from, uh, you know, crowd surfing in a wheelchair to Jairus Walker, but I just did. You know, what were your takeaways with Jairus at Summer League there, Scott? Yeah, you're trying to – that's a difficult segue to make, I think, uh, right there. <laughs> but I, I think you pulled it off. But uh, for one, uh, I, I think – Walker showed more of his ball handling skills. I think we, what we knew and what they had talked about so much, Brian, was 
how much he could guard, uh, his versatility. That's the buzzword I think I've written about a hundred times this summer, his versatility defensively. Um, you know, the, his ability to switch off on the guards and pick and roll and how important that is with the way the game is played. But um, for me to, find, to see him handle the ball more, that was the one thing that surprised me as much, especially in game three once you had the, the key top three players sit out after the couple games, then they even had, you know, were calling plays and setting up for him to run the pick and roll as the initiator, not the guy rolling and setting the screen. Um, his shot, as we all know, needs to improve a little bit. Uh, I like, though, what we saw from him for the most part with those key guys. The trouble was, and this is where it's hard to kind of put it in perspective or even take a lot from it, is once that roster is heavily depleted, I don't think Jarris is your, ever going to be your number one or number two guy. So for him to be thrusted into that role, yes, it is good experience, but it removes, I think, how you know the, the role in which he's most comfortable and will be contributing moving forward. Right? Like he's not going to be called upon to bring up the ball all the time and be the number one guy. So that was the difficult thing: is the offense really sputtered and really didn't get going. They failed to score a ton over the final three games. And then because of that, I think the defense suffered. And um, that was probably my most disappointing takeaway in all this is for how much they've been talking about defense as a whole. The defense was not very good for the final three games. Scott, I think for a lot of us, the baseline for things like summer league, like training camp, like the preseason is – clean bill of health for everybody and that's a win in itself that's kind of an accepted one for those that mm-hmm. cover it and for a lot of front office members as well but for you that were out there for quite some time for summer league where are your kind of lines in the sands for was it a successful summer league for this rookie class and as you evaluate and look back on the 10-day stretch was it that for this group yeah so i i think you're right first of all just having the clean bill of health, nothing crazy, nothing bad happened. I mean, because I remember the first night and what we see, we saw multiple injuries, Scoot Henderson, you know, wiped out for the rest of summer league and precautionary. Amen Thompson wiped out the first game of summer league. So the Pacers did not have that. That was a positive. I, I thought overall, Jarris Walker was solid. I would have liked to see more from Ben Shepard. The thing is though, this, I think this reaction kind of fits who he is. He's not a flashy, not a showy, not a a player that's going to steal the attention. I think he's a guy that's just solid. I even talked to him after the second game, and I was like, I take this as a compliment, but I think offensively you were invisible. But when you needed to make shots, you know, it counted, right? Like he he had one point in the first game, but in the second game they asked more of him, and he got more comfortable, and they changed up what they were doing offensively, and I think he knocked down four threes. And I think that – and being a reliable defensive player is exactly who he is. Although, I will say in the last game uh, is when, in the last couple games, you would have liked to see him show up more. Um, So that a little bit was disappointing. Uh, Otherwise, my other grand takeaway was, I I think, Andrew Nimhard, far too good for Summer League. He was just steady and solid, and this was a completely different team when he was out there. And with Benedict Matherin, it was almost like he was trying too much. Um, he had some dis- disappointing moments when in summer league he would go one on three and I was sitting back and I was like look this isn't working here you know it's not going to work at the next level against far better talent I would have liked to see him get teammates more involved in, in passing and, and much uh, much of a storyline like the coaches had been talking about during minicamp before they got out there and I thought he got better about that in the second game but in that first game that was tough to watch I think he piled up like four turnovers in the first half 
Do you think that's a good sign or a bad sign going forward where, like you said, maybe he thinks of it like, okay, I'm not going to be doing that when the regular season rolls around? Or is this just a, a sign of things to come? Do you think it's good or bad? I think it's more so bad because I think it, it, he could he would benefit from that experience of seeing those reps go through and getting the payoff. And meaning, you know, he'd attack, he'd set team, teammates up, uh, and, you know, they would knock down shots and be like, all right, we can do this. Because on the other side of that, what we need to see is his expanded game, this being part of it. The other is not, not being afraid to knock down mid-range jumpers, having a more consistent outside shot. Um, what we didn't need to see is, I think, what exactly we saw, and that was him attacking and attacking and trying to take on more guys. We know he can do that. He did a great job last year of getting to the free throw line for like six and seven attempts per game as a rookie. That's the part of the game that is a known uh, commodity here. Now we need to see more, and so I would have liked to see more expansion. Are the areas, though, that you saw struggles from him, do, do they outweigh where those strengths are? And, and either way, is it at least areas of film work where, okay, we can develop further and we can fix those issues? Yeah, I think so. And we even saw that halfway through the first game as they went to the locker room. And Gennaro Pargo, the summer league coach, and, and others even and mentioned this to him. I know Lloyd Pierce did after the game it's like hey man let's let's set teammates up let's get others involved we don't need to keep attacking uh one on three and then um and then defensively i think in the big picture is the other thing uh we want to see more steady improvement from benedict so he can he really wants to be a a two-way player and knowing him and and what he has said several times is not just a two-way player he wants to be the best two-way player but we need to see a, a a consistent improvement on the defensive end of the ball where sometimes he wouldn't do what Rick Carlisle wanted. Sometimes he wouldn't do what the flow of the defense was. Uh, and sometimes he would just get straight up beat by his defender. But um, one thing that also is notable here is we saw Team Canada announce their roster for the World Cup and neither Matherin nor Nimhart are on that, as was expected. We did not expect the, for them to participate. They're really trying to be locked into this offseason where, where we see so many guys take their biggest jump from year one to year two. And so the good thing is Matherin had a terrific rookie season, and yet look at what we keep talking about is so many different ways we want to see him improve and get better. He's Scott Agnes. He's a country fan. He's a Swifty. He covers the Pacers for Fieldhouse Files. Um, how about this, Scott, where <laughs> – you like that? Does that work well? <laughs> I've never been introduced by that, but uh, I'll take it. <laughs> I think it. I think it, it, it. You know, it really accentuates Fieldhouse Files. Is what we. You know, we want to do. We need a. We need a, a an attention grabber over here, right? Top of the uh, resume, right there. Yeah. Yep. Right. Exactly. Yep. Uh, what did you think of the plan? To only play guys for a game or two. We saw that with Ben Matherin. We saw it with Wembenyama. Did you generally? like it or dislike it where it felt like load management's a part of summer league now no i i think this is exactly what it is and what it has been for years i didn't expect those guys to play more than two games and, and they really didn't jaris took the last game off uh if you go back several years usually the top rookie plays no more than three or four games i think because ben shepherd kind of had an underwhelming couple of showings that um, they decided to have him play the fifth, and that's great. Why not? Um, in Wimby's case, for example, you got to remember that he played for like the last month overseas with his French team. So he had been playing not just professional basketball, but he had been playing like playoff basketball while all of his peers were going through pre-draft workouts and that sort of thing. So I'm good with that. The other thing 
um, <laughs> is is you can tell that, that just in a short time the little areas in which he's going to be able to improve by adding some strength, by adding uh, more of a reliable shot and things like that. So from a basketball standpoint, yes, we would have liked to see him more. That's a big reason why for the first time ever, the first three days, three nights, were sold out at Summer League. Like, I remember, Jimmy, right, when it was like one day, it maybe been the first day, and it was Zion, and that was yep. it. And then tickets were easy to come by. One big difference I can tell you about this year, the significant difference was – how it just felt a lot bigger, fuller, meaning the crowd. And, like, the gym was always cold and packed. It was so hot this year. I wanted to say that was because there was more people and they didn't accommodate for that. But because of that, there was also less mingling. There was less, uh, I think, interactions with NBA personnel and scouts and media and such kind of between the two gyms like we had been so accustomed to doing. So that was one big difference is it just felt bigger um, and much more – to a detriment, I think, more like an entertainment product and less about uh, these players and the, the top draft picks getting valuable reps. When you look at the rest of the Pacers' Summer League roster, and Jairus Walker, I would completely agree with you, is the highlight of the Summer League and definitely deserves you know flowers for that of showing the type of player that he is, at least at that level, right? You take it with a grain of salt because it's Summer League. But the rest of this roster, a lot of guys potentially fighting for early impressions, not just with the Pacers, with just league-wide as a whole, who impressed you the most on this roster outside of Walker? I think my number one guy was Andrew Nimhart, yeah. but he's got a solidified He already has a spot, spot, right, exactly. Yeah, so that's not that big a deal. Uh, I think Isaiah Wong reiterated exactly who he is, and he's a bucket getter. Uh, the one thing he was trying to add to his game and get more experience at was point guard because you know team executives and, and his agents were all saying, hey, to have a place in the NBA, you're going to have to be a one. You've been a two your entire life you're going to have to be a one to have a chance here. So he was trying to handle the ball more. We saw that. But in, at, at a final result, we, you know, he was the guy that was always looking for a bucket, much like Benedict Matherin and attacking, because that's exactly who he is. Uh, to the same respect, I thought Oscar Shibwe, again, reiterated who he was. as just a, a dominant rebounder whose other skills are kind of raw, and that's, that's maybe a positive here because he's on a two-way contract with the Pacers, uh, which means he's a relatively cheap deal. It's worth half of the league minimum, um, and it gives him an opportunity and a, a platform here with the, the Mad Ants coming up this next season to just commit to, to playing more professional basketball and getting, getting those valuable reps while also having the ability to being called up uh, by the t- Pacers team. But outside of that, uh, the guys that maybe are fringe guys, I'm not sure anyone made a, a – a, an impression that jumped out or, oh, my goodness, maybe they have to sign him or anything like that. I thought uh, the overwhelming note was just how much of a drop-off there was after the first two games when the core three players were absent. Hey, Scott, good stuff, bud. Appreciate the time. We'll catch you down the road. All right, sounds good. Thanks, guys. Thank you. There he is, Scott Agnes. Covers the Pacers for Fieldhouse Files, also 1075thefan.com. Good stuff right there. How... uh. Uh, your level of enthusiasm for the summer league, Jimmy, like Pacers, all things considered, what would you put it at on a scale from one to 10? I'm going to put it at a six because Jairus Walker carries the day for a large portion of that. I mean, there's a lot of different ways from his, from his passing ability to just his overall game that I'm like, okay, I need to see what it's like now against the very best. This is a among your peers type of event with a couple journeymen here and there. Let's see how you are at the next level for this team, but it's, Lowered a little bit because, and we talked about this with Scott a couple weeks ago as well, 
there's no doubt that Bennett Matherin was asked or assigned the role of, hey, we want you to run this show. We want you to dominate things for us. And it's your time to shine in terms of being a, a go-to option, even though he'll be a running mate with Tyrese Halliburton. They'll either split or Halliburton will win out those roles. And there was more negatives or areas for growth, depending on how you want to look at it for him, than there were next-level positives. It's not to say I'm ready to hit a panic button, but this rebuild and this team being a potential contender in three to four years or a Pacers team that, like most of their history, are just competitive enough to be around the playoffs, maybe sniff a conference final once every five, seven years, that is dictated in my mind by the type of player Benedict Matherin becomes. I hope he matures, man. I really do, because I hope that was just a trial for him, yeah. where he's like, let me try some wild stuff and just see. <laughs> they got it out of his system or something. That's like a Rodman Vegas bender right. or something like that. I don't know what was going on there, but yeah, you got to see. That's the thing. We talk about this on the NFL level all the time with quarterback, just decision-making on the field, like where you're going with the football. We talk about it ad nauseum. It's the same thing in basketball. What are you doing decision-wise? What shots are you taking? What shots are you passing up? What shots are you uh, helping to set up your teammates? You know, like all that type of stuff. Decision-making is a huge part of being effective. And when you see like troubling signs in Summer League, I hope he's just trying some wild stuff and that was it. But uh, if that's a thing, if that's a sign of things to come, that is not good at all for the Pacers. And I'm more of the glass half full look at it like I, I don't believe that's going to be solely what is the true look of the Pacers with Benning Matherin on this roster. I think that from a standpoint, and Scott outlined it pretty well, of what you would have hoped for from him, it is he looks like a true leader of a unit and they're just getting open for looks and he's distributing the ball well and it's a nice solid flow of the offense and granted it did improve a little bit once they had those conversations after the second game for kind of where things were at and what they liked what they didn't like from him but again he's still very young to the point that you know I'm not going to judge him too harshly on it but Mm -hmm. if we get to a stretch where and I don't think this will happen but you got to throw it out there just because who knows with where this young core is there's friction or there's confusion for what needs to happen in crunch time again this roster is built to a point where I want Benedict Matherin to be the second best or higher option on this team five years from now where he was drafted and the player they want him to be that's what I need from him and if it's forced or if it's to a point where he doesn't understand that role or can never reach that potential there's a cap for how far this team is able to go as the roster is currently constructed. It's Brian Noen, Jimmy Cook with you here on The Fan. What's the craziest thing you've seen in concert, Jimmy? <laughs> so, yeah, so you know this, I'm not a big concert guy, so I don't have any wild stories. There's uh, got to be something. You've been to shows, right? There's got to be been. one thing that, you know, I mean, like, concert. like I... I I've seen guys like, you know, fall downstairs before because they were too drunk, but nothing like, I mean, it's hard to follow up old man wheelchair at a metal concert crowd surfing, right? <laughs> like wild. I, I can't top that. I, that was, that was a wild one right there. A wild one. Um, okay. Um, I'll give you a wild list. How about that? I just saw in sports center. This is tremendous. So they put together a graphic. The Titans are going, they're in the process of landing Deandre Hopkins. 
the five-time Pro Bowl wide receiver. So SportsCenter put together this list. So this is the Titans wide receivers um, and head coach in terms of the career receiving touchdowns list, including the playoffs, okay? So at the top of the list is DeAndre Hopkins. He's got 72 touchdown grabs in his entire career. Bottom of the list, Traylon Burks. Rookie last season, he's got one. <laughs> he's got you know, one touchdown. Uh, Nick Westbrook, Akine, he's got seven. Wide receiver Chris Moore, he's got eight. So outside of DeAndre Hopkins, the next guy with the most touchdown catches is the head coach, Mike Vrabel. <laughs> he's got 12. So it's DeAndre Hopkins and Mike Vrabel, one, two, in terms of the most touchdown catches on that team. Again, I'm happy DeAndre Hopkins got a payday out of this, but this is a perfect storm scenario where maybe DeAndre Hopkins didn't need the Titans. The Titans absolutely needed DeAndre Hopkins. And is he worth that money? Like, yeah, I, I'm willing to convince myself and I don't think it's a big leap to do so. If some of the top teams in the conference had that kind of cap space to compete with that, maybe they would break the bank and splurge on it, depending on where the rest of their, you know, projections were allocated for the coming seasons. Like I think Buffalo might've taken a swing at that, but they didn't have the cast space to do it. Kansas city might've done it. Nobody of that list had the cast space to match it. So it's jarring because they didn't have anybody like that's why people were out of their mind when they saw AJ Brown leave last year, because it's like (laughs) you were a one seed the year before Uh. you were the, again, Weakest one seed, maybe in in my living memory, but one of the weakest one seeds of all time. And you trade away one of your best offensive weapons with a quarterback who is what, like mm. a tier below Kirk Cousins yeah. or maybe there? Like it didn't make any sense from a Titan standpoint when they did it. And now they're having to overcorrect. A lot of people on Twitter are like, oh, why don't you just pay AJ Brown? I mean, it's not a bad point, even though Brown sure. would have had more money over more years. But that's a scramble mode situation where they realize this isn't like Vrabel fighting for his job, I don't think. But it's with where this quarterback room is right now, you need an experienced, reliable weapon if you want any chance of a division they feel like could still be theirs because they fumbled the bag down the stretch last year. Well, that's the thing is that's what they're telling themselves anyway. Jacksonville's the better team. Like, I think it's clear that they're the front runners but Tennessee feels like they're not that far apart. We're going to get to those Jags in a second here, Jimbo, but That's the thing is, if you look at the Titans getting DeAndre Hopkins, I liken it to getting food at the airport. You know what I mean? Like, if you're hungry, it's just, you shrug your shoulders and it's it's just going to cost more. You know what I mean? Like, with the Titans, they don't have many weapons. So, if it costs more to get DeAndre Hopkins, I think that's what they have to do. Because... You can still compete in this division. I don't care what anybody says. I know it was a horrible second half of the season for the Titans, but when you stop and look at the end of the season, they were in a win-and-you're-in scenario. It's a close game on the road in Jacksonville, and you've got Joshua Dobbs as the starting quarterback. He's been there for two weeks, and it was a 50-50 game. (laughs) You're right there. So I think the Titans can compete. And then when you look at it, it's not just Ryan Tannehill. What if Will Levis plays a little bit this season? It's possible he does. We talked about this with C.J. Stroud. 
You know, it's like a baby. You want to give them everything. It's like, all right, here's your blankie. Here's your binky. Here's the little spinny thing that might entertain you above your head. You know, you want to get them everything possible where they can be as successful as possible. So for any young quarterback, you want to surround him with as much talent as possible. So whether Will Levis plays or not this season, it's at least a possibility. And if you've got DeAndre Hopkins on the field, Instead of Westbrook Akine, <laughs> like, yeah. that's what you got to do. And if it costs more than normal, you shrug your shoulders and say, "Okay, uh, Dasani's four fifty here at the at the airport. I could get a case for this, but whatever. <laughs> I'm thirsty." Like I think that's where the Titans are. Do you think what? what I think the answer is money. I think you do too. But what's the percentage here of money versus the relationship with Vrabel for why he chose Tennessee in your mind? Right. That's yeah. I think it's. Because if it's just money, then there's a reason to maybe be frustrated if you're a Colts fan. Because all the reasons you just outlined is why, even though we joked about it at Carb Day in May, when the news came out that he was getting released and teams were going to have to... You know, pony up. They wanted to acquire him. It was why it was like, why not? Why not spend money to try to get him here? Yeah. If the relationship was what ultimately won the day on top of the money, like the cherry on top of that, right. he had no shot. But if it was just a money standpoint, Colts had the cap space to try to battle that. That's where you start to wonder, to your Will Levis point, I, I wouldn't have been mad to have another wide receiver, a very yeah. veteran experienced wide receiver to help along with Anthony Richardson. Sure. I, I don't know the answer to that question. I think it had something to do with it. Mike Vrabel was the defensive coordinator with the Houston Texans when DeAndre had one of his special seasons. He was actually two of his five Pro Bowl seasons. You know, Mike Vrabel was there on the coaching staff. And now the uh, the offensive coordinator with the Titans, Tim Kelly, he was calling plays for the Texans when DeAndre was still there. So that familiarity, that could be a big reason why. Like I was doing a show yesterday with Kerry Rhodes, who's a former NFL safety. And he said he thought that the the relationship with those guys was even more. It was bigger than mm. the money. So maybe, and it's not like the Patriots, whatever their offer was, it wasn't a dollar ninety-five. <laughs> you know what I mean? And he's talking about he loves Bill Belichick. So yeah, but they tried to do what you can't do. They to borrow your analogy, they tried to haggle at the airport. So we're not doing that. No, yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah. It's it's eight fifty for that one Pizza Hut yeah. slice of pizza, and we're not taking yeah. six forty five. I'm sorry. It shouldn't be more than four dollars. Yeah. It's like, well, then you're not going to get yeah, this sorry. slice of pizza. Sorry. Yeah, keep yeah. on walking. Yeah. All right, coming up next, Jimmy. We got to get to this. There is an NFL team that I think is getting too much love. Negative, no. <laughs> Right around the corner. Or reality, no. I, you, you, you'd be the judge of that. I'm Brian, though. He's Jimmy Cook. It's 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com. And talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. I'm Brian No, He's Jimmy Cook here on The Fan. Uh, I need to know the name of this song, Eddie, and uh, who sings it. It's called, uh, the song is called Electric Avenue, and it's by Eddie Grant. Yeah, I, it's a great song. Love the song. It just puts me in a good mood. And I don't, I don't know if Eddie Grant's a one-hit wonder or not. I've never heard that man in my life. 
You, Jimmy? You an Eddie Grant guy? I mean, I like Electric Avenue. I was, Love it. I was, Electric I was jamming Avenue. along, but no, I could not throw out another Eddie Grant song. I could not either. You Have you heard of Eddie Grant before, Eddie? <laughs> uh, other than this song, no. <laughs> uh, he's apparently a British songwriter. Uh, Eddie E-D-D-Y for those scoring Fraudulent. <laughs> he's a fraud. <laughs> The Eddie community pushes aside E-D-D-Y. Get it out of here. Um, I do that with uh, the fake Bryans, you know, where it's B-R-Y-A-N. You're just a, you know, you're a a goofy Ryan is what you are. If you spell Brian that way. Uh, So I didn't know that about Eddie. Um, Eddie uh, Garrison talking about like E-D-D-Y that way. But that's funny. I like that. Okay, so. I got to say something here, Jimmy, and I don't think you're going to dislike it. You might disagree with it slightly. I'm not sure, but the Jacksonville Jaguars, these guys over here, like I get why they have the, the shortest odds to win the division this season. I get that. They have a lot of talent. They took a major step forward. Trevor Lawrence is easily right now the best quarterback in the division. So I get the reasons why. But they're minus 165. And for the non-gamblers out there, they, along with the Chiefs, have the best odds to win their respective divisions. And I look at that and I'm like, look at the rest of the division. The Titans are 4-1. to one. The Colts, higher than 5-1. to one. Texans are 8-1. to one. And Jacksonville, you got to lay 165. you got to risk 165 to win 100. And I'm like, hold on just a second. This was a team that was 9-8 and eight last season. That again, going back to week 18, it was a 50-50 ball game at home against Joshua Dobbs. Like, <laughs> I, I think that's just too much where a lot of people have them as a shoe-in to win the division. I'm like, I'm not there. I think they might. I think they've got a great chance, but as if it's a done deal already, that goes way too far for me. Seems like your trend. <laughs> <laughs> that, man see i don't know. i told you told uh, you this is this is this is what i expect from from eddie glad to have you back welcome back my friend thank you <laughs> no problem um so from a betting standpoint this happens all the time right we talk about how the nfl is one of the easier sports to have that turn around year rather quickly if, if the circumstances are right in your division. Like teams going from, maybe not worst to first to win a division, in this case it'd likely have to be with how talented the rest of the AFC is, but earning a playoff spot when you weren't projected to do so. I don't know if this makes me a good gambler or a bad gambler, but <laughs> I'm, I'm willing to agree with you that maybe they shouldn't be as lockstep that high of juice to be the mm-hmm. favorite to win the division. I don't have any type of confidence to wager any money on the other three teams. Even with DeAndre Hopkins there, I don't care if it's Brian Tannehill or Will the Thrill Levis. If that's my best option <laughs> to be able to contend for the South, if they win it, great. It won't be because I had a wager on them. Like I, I see Jacksonville, and I understand that they're like a breath or two away from not being a playoff team this year. And maybe the narrative, not maybe, it definitely would have. It's sports. Who am I kidding? Maybe the narrative shifts to where, oh, maybe Doug Peterson isn't the answer here in Jacksonville. Maybe Trevor Lawrence isn't a franchise quarterback. And that's that's sports, right? Game of inches, all that cliche nonsense. When I look at Jacksonville, where they are right now, 
and I look at another year of Trevor Lawrence in this league with a coach who I admire a great deal in Doug Peterson, adding into the fact that receiving room instantly gets better with Calvin Ridley now eligible to participate, I have a hard time not feeling 90% confident the Jaguars are going to win the AFC South. Well, a couple of things here. You go back to last season, the Jags were 4-2 and two in the division. They lost to the Texans. Thirteen to six. <laughs> they love. Okay, I love the South so much. And the very next week, they lost to the Colts on the road in Indianapolis. Yep. And then you look at the schedule this season. So for the Jags, they play a first place schedule. So that means it's affected by three games, right? Three games fall into that. So they pick up the Chiefs, the Bills, and the Niners. That's tough. <laughs> that is not is. easy whatsoever. And then they play two games back-to-back in London. So you got some quirkiness with the schedule. I, it's just too much for it to be a slam dunk. I'll put it this way. If I have 100 bucks or even 50 bucks, I'm not putting it on the Jags minus 165. I'm at least putting it on the Titans plus 425. Like, I just don't think... The difference in those two teams is as great as the odds are. And that's when I would back the dog, when I'm getting better value that way. I think sometimes you can get seduced by the potential payout, but when the odds are way longer than the reality, I'm going to back the underdog. And so I would absolutely throw some cash at the Titans before I do Jacksonville. Here's my thing, though, and I don't disagree with you, right? Like, I'm probably not going to lay the minus 165 for a lot of different reasons, in part because even though I do feel extremely confident the Jaguars are going to win the South, it, it, it's a weird division, man. It's like just the games you just outlined. There are weird head-scratching games within that division on a weekly basis to a point where, like, you would hope that as Jacksonville being a front-runner and favored where they are, they'll be weird games and they won't be fun wins, but they'll still win at the end of the day, right? If you had that feeling about the Jaguars, we're not having this conversation, but it's still a large segment of the NFL where it's like, okay, you did it last year. You earned a ticket just barely to the dance. Do it again for me. Do it in convincing fashion now. But you mentioned underdog flitter and the odds being there. I need something to root for or a reason to be impressed enough to take a ticket. Like when I look at the rest of the divisions as I have them up in front of me. What about the Chargers, anybody? Look, I make the jokes every year about how NFL Network will continue eight years running to pick the Chargers to finally win the AFC Uh West, and maybe this is the year they're right. They're plus 340. I I wouldn't be mad at getting Justin Herbert at plus 340, even with Mahomes in the wings, but that wasn't the example I was going to go off of. It's not as strong, but I'd be more likely, more comfortable in my mind, and yes, I'm bullish on this man, so sue me. I'd take plus 270 with the Jets and Aaron Rodgers to win over the Bills before I would take the Titans at plus 430 over the Jags because I I can see it. I can see a clear run where, yeah, the Jets could win that division. Like I I could see a pathway there. I can't see it with the Titans because what am I rooting for? Another dominant season from Derrick Henry, Ryan Tannehill to suddenly become a better quarterback because he has an outside of his prime DeAndre Hopkins? Will Levis ends up being the otherworldly quarterback that you think he's going to be? I I don't have a dog to root for in Tennessee. I don't. (laughs) Okay, now here's the thing. If you bet on the Jets 
and they don't win the division, sure. I might hit you with the tweet that see, says seems to be your trend. Because <laughs> uh, that's just crazy to be like, I get what you're saying. I was looking for a comparable juice metric, and you'd be I, uh, surprised totally. at how hard the gap is to find for that. Most of them, it's plus 140 to plus one. There's very few teams that the division leader is minus anything. It's the teams you outline, the Niners, the Chiefs, and the Jaguars and Eagles. I just think there's way too much traffic in the way with the Jets. Yeah. I think the Titans have a much better shot to win their division than the Jets do theirs because we all know, know about the Bills. It's a, a talented roster. Um, they've made it to the playoffs. They've actually made a little bit of noise in the playoffs at times. The Dolphins are incredibly talented. If Tua is upright this season, I know that's a big if, they've got a chance to make significant playoff noise. And then, like the Patriots, if that's the team that's the caboose, that's a much better caboose than a lot of other divisions. Compare the Patriots to the Texans. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> that's what we're looking at. Yeah. So I think the Jets have way too much in their way, a lot more in their way than the Titans do. I know we're down on the Titans, and I don't want to make them sound like world beaters here, but they just had a horrible stretch last season. But they play a, a smash mouth style of football. They've been consistent. Ryan Tannehill missed a handful of games due to injury last season. That could repeat itself, but let's play the what-if game. What if Ryan Tannehill is healthier this season? This might blow your mind, Jimmy. I didn't know this until I looked it up. But in terms of passer rating last year, Trevor Lawrence took a major step forward, right? Mm -hmm. Trevor Lawrence's passer rating was .6 better than Ryan Tannehill's. Okay, It was the exact same as Andy Dalton's passer rating last season. That's what Trevor Lawrence did. And he was good. Don't get me wrong. But just because he took a major step forward, sometimes we're making more out of it than there is to make. We're making it sound like it was like the second passer rating in the season. Right? Like, he was good. And I think the, the, the Jags were a lot like that as well. Where previous year, three and 14. So nine and eight felt like, whoa, look, they're 13 and four. You know what I mean? Like, it wasn't as good as it felt. And with the Titans going forward to this season, it's not as bad. It's not as dire as it felt last season when they just completely, you know, went the other way. They went south in the second half. The reason that I am so frustrated by the Titans is the only reason, and it matters. It matters in the National Football League. The only reason we're having these conversations of a lookout for Tennessee is because Mike Vrabel's there, is because he's a very, very good football coach. And much like, you know, another name of a roster that it doesn't pop and maybe this roster is better than the Titans right now. You could argue that for days. But like, I admire Mike Tomlin the same way. He's in over his head with where the division is at right now in the AFC North. But he's a great football coach. And he always is able to get the most out of whatever's in front of him. So is Mike Frable. Able to do the same thing. Win ugly. Win in a way that isn't the, the sexy highlight plays on SportsCenter. But it's good enough to win. And that's all that matters in this league. So I admire that. And I'm willing to have this conversation. But... In years past, that type of play style is good enough to win this division. Mm. And why the Vegas markets, I mean, who knows? Vegas is wrong all the time. But why they're viewing them as a clear-cut favorite in the same lengths, the Jaguars, as the Niners, as the Eagles, as the Chiefs, is because Trevor Lawrence at times last year finally looked like the prospect that he had been coronated as the second he took a football field at Clemson. 
And I don't know. I can't guarantee he was going to repeat that. But if he does, if he takes that leap forward and he is the franchise quarterback, a lot of people thought he was going to be out of college. Mike Vrabel's way of winning is not going to pan out the way it has in years past. It just won't. And it'll be a 11-5 and division win for the Titans and or for the Jaguars and the Titans will probably be seven and nine. Mm. Um, it, yeah, listen, man, it's uh, I think that sometimes you got to look a little closer. I'm not accusing you of not doing sure. that. I'm just saying in general where I think there's a tendency to look at the Titans and be like, man, the wheels fell off the track. Like, screw this team. They're heading south, right? Like they're on the downward uh, spin right I've here. felt that way about them for the last five years because it's been Derrick Henry and their way of winning is an older way of winning that almost doesn't work anymore, which is an average quarterback, an elite running game, and hoping your defense can carry you yeah. to the promised land. And that can win sometimes, but this is just a train that I've seen lose wheels over the years and a spare tire and DeAndre Hopkins doesn't move the needle for me with them. Well, they lost seven games to close the season. But they lost to the Bengals by four points. They lost to the Chargers by three. They're playing with Joshua Dobbs for a couple of games at the end of the year. That can't just be glossed over. Like, that was a dude they signed off the street because they're like, man, well, Malik Willis sucks right now. And that's why I'm trying to let you and the audience know that mine isn't just last year's seven-game sample size. I've never had the proper respect for the Titans because the way – Today, not always, but the way today's NFL is won is with elite quarterback play. And am I spoiled and a lot of this generation spoiled because everybody's being sold as an elite quarterback and you see Joe Burrow and Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, Jalen Hurts every week and you think that's the only way to win? Yeah, that's probably a lost art of it in today's NFL, but you've seen different iterations of Ryan Tannehill with the Titans and Mike Vrabel at the helm and that philosophy of winning, like you're, you're not your best case, but their best case is that they're right on Will Levis, and he turns into something special for them. Yeah, I just don't see it with Tannehill anymore, even with the addition of DeAndre Hopkins. But it, but it all also relies, to your point, Brian, on the Jaguars taking another leap forward. If they don't, if they stall out, then yeah, it's going to be an, a nine-win team that probably wins this division, and maybe the Titans deserve more respect because of that. Well, I, let's go to music. Okay, the Jacksonville Jaguars are more of a new band. They, yeah. they were really brand new last season with Doug Peterson there. Mm-hmm. And it just felt like, oh, this is fresh. This is new. They've stunk for a while. Man, things are looking so much better. Tennessee is a band that has had a couple of hits, but now they've they've just put out their fifth album, <laughs> and it sounds very similar, and there's yeah. nothing really exciting. And, and it's just – it feels differently, but I would just – Caution people, don't get sucked into how it feels. You know what I mean? Where if you look closer at Jacksonville, they won five games down the stretch of the regular season. So they beat the Cowboys in a weird overtime game where there was a pick six and they won it. That's a 50-50 ball game. You know what I mean? Like the last game of the year against the Titans, that's a 50-50 ball game against Joshua Dobbs. So I think there's sometimes this tendency to think, well, the way it ended last season or the way it felt last season, that's going to automatically carry into this upcoming season. It doesn't always work like that. And so when I look at Trevor Lawrence, as good as he looked last year and as good of a sign as as it was for Jacksonville, he's still in the same ballpark as Ryan Tannehill in passer rating. When it's all said and done, those guys are putting up comparable passing numbers. And so that's why I don't think it's outlandish at all. 
for the Titans to have more of a resurgence this year and to win the, the division. I'm not saying they're going to be in the AFC title game. I'm saying they got a legitimate shot to win the AFC sure. South. I don't think that's outlandish at all. No, no. I Again, I don't think that it's a crazy take. And I, I think, again, there's a possibility that it could happen. It's just... Uh, not just the seven-game stretch last year, but what the Titans are and what they're trying to be now by adding DeAndre Hopkins is so heavily reliant on playing ugly, getting enough from your offense to open up things again for Derrick Henry, and the the rest of the division being ugly. That's how every South division winner the last couple of years has either taken advantage of a bad division and been the clear-cut favorite, or it's been an ugly journey to the finish line and they squeak into the playoffs, and usually with no success prior to last year with the collapse the Chargers had against the Jacksonville Jaguars. So that's still a way to win, but if the leap forward that I think a lot of people are expecting from Jacksonville, especially with Calvin Ridley there now and Trevor Lawrence getting another year under his belt in this league, ugly just might not be good enough. Yeah, it might not be, but I think he got a decent shot. Sure. I think it's better than over 4-1. to one. I would agree with you on that. Yeah, Yeah. that's what I think. All right, coming up next, numbers, Jimmy. There's actually a bad Colts number that's really good going forward. We'll tell you about that. I'm Brian No, He's Jimmy Cook. It's 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. I'm Brian No, He's Jimmy Cook. You know, I, I think concerts are a great tool for bets. Jimmy, just listening to this song, I'd be like, man, I'd hate to go to this concert. Who is this? It's Avril Lavigne. A- oh, man, I hate to go to an Avril Lavigne show. That'd be a great <laughs> bet of, like, if you're wrong, you got to go see her concert. I feel like that should be part, in the, part of the mix. Didn't see Avril Lavigne taking strays on a Monday, but hey, here we are. I'm just saying, I lost a bet. I had to go see Dave Matthews' band. Awful. Terrible experience. Hated it. I'm sorry. My condolences. <laughs> great musicians. No, no doubt. Great musicians, just not not my my cup of tea, right there, Jimmy. But um, there, I got a couple of numbers to throw at you, so um, I'll give you the Mission Impossible numbers. But let's start with the Colts here. So Shaq Leonard, we all know he didn't play a whole lot last season. I didn't know the exact number of defensive snaps. You might know this, Jimmy. I didn't know. Only seventy four. Not great. Seventy four defensive snaps. Had the back surgery. Had a concussion. But you think about that going forward for the Colts, and we all know what he means to that defense. He's a great player. And so to have him back, and hopefully, goodness, he's gonna if he's healthy, he's going to be around 1,000 defensive snaps. Think about that. You could have over 900 more snaps with Shaq Leonard this season, potentially somewhere in that ballpark. That's going to make a big difference. So I just think of, I'm not saying it's, hey, they're destined for 13-4. and four. I'm just saying... When you're thinking about the ripple effect, where the defense helps the offense, offense helps the defense, that's the way it works. If Anthony Richardson has less on his plate and the Colts don't have to score as many points if the defense is playing better, that's absolutely going to have a ripple effect in a positive direction. So I don't think we can gloss over that where 
You're getting 600 to 800 roughly more snaps from Shaq Leonard if he's healthy. That's huge. We can't look at a roster and see multiple holes on the defensive end for a team that I don't want to say they got a pass defensively last year because I think Gus Bradley got the most out of that group he could. And yes, the wheels fell off like everything did for that team last year. But with the absence of Isaiah Rogers, with a cornerback room that is kind of built solely on what Kenny Moore is able to do in a contract year in his own right as the most veteran experienced player and relying on a lot of rookies, especially Juju Brents to rise the occasion. That's just in the cornerback room with what Gus Bradley wants to do defensively. Again, you, you got what you could out of that linebacker room a year ago, but so much of what they're going to rise and fall for as defensive unit is dictated by not just the availability of Shaq Leonard, but him getting close to where he was a player before he's dealt with these injuries. Maybe that's too big of an ask, but right. the further that the answer is no, he can't get back to that level. You got to start by obviously having the snaps and being on the field it becomes much more difficult for what the Colts are going to do with him in the years to come with what he's being paid. Right. Listen, there's a seesaw effect mm-hmm. where you get Sha- Shaq Leonard back. Good. You got some rookies at, Really important positions, <laughs> like a <laughs> cornerback. Bad, probably bad, <laughs> at least at times. Uh, so I'm not expecting them to be the 85 Bears. But when you have DeForest Buckner, Shaq Leonard, you just start with that. That's a good place to start. So I don't expect them to be a train wreck, is really all I'm saying. And when you're not a train wreck, that can help your offense as well, especially when you have a young guy starting a bunch of games in Anthony Richardson. By the way, are you a uh, Mission Impossible fan at all, Jimmy? Massively so. Really? Massively so. I love Mission Impossible. We're going to have to tap back into this, but uh, Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1. Oh. You've seen it already? Uh, I saw it on uh, opening weekend. It was everything I hoped it would be and more. It was great. Had a great time. I'm refreshing my mind because I didn't realize there were already six of these out already. I didn't. Re- <laughs> I've seen like Ghost Protocol and the first one, and so we're going through the catalog before seeing the seventh one, sure. the latest one. Yep. And uh, you know, second one not great. No, not not great at all. Um, um, Very forgettable. The second one. Yep. Kind of forgot the third one, so I'm refreshing my memory again. The fourth one, Ghost Protocol. Thir- third one, third one is uh, spoiler alert. Again, you've had seventeen don't do it. years. I don't feel don't do, bad don't, for don't it. spoil it. Don't oh, do you, it. You haven't seen them yet. I well, I can't remember the third one. <laughs> Philip Seymour Hoffman is in don't the third one. That's not a spoiler. Okay, okay. If you don't know who that is, then I, then no, I, I, I can't I, help you. All right, he does. He's a great bad guy in those movies. But the latest Mission Impossible, two hundred thirty-five million dollars at the global box office. So that includes. Uh, franchise opening weekend records in 35 worldwide markets. It sounds fancy. I, I hear it's a little bit down. Wh- which is it? Is it crushing it or is it a little bit down? I think it's it's good for where post-COVID movie theater numbers are. <laughs> okay. And I think it's better than what they had for Fallout, which came out in 2018, like in terms of an opening weekend. But I don't think it was as eye-popping as they wanted to. This is getting into metrics nobody cares about. Yeah. But Mission Impossible is an older franchise and in the past it's been the second and third weeks where they've made more money because oh, really? older fans aren't usually going to primetime opening weekend they'll they'll make their way when they do huh we'll see the if that ends up fans. being accurate or not that, that's that's a statement from Forbes or just a couple different places that analyzes kind of stuff so i know no one was expecting to get that on the fan today but there you go You're here we are here we are you never know yep. right that's the beauty all right coming up next john glennon 
Speaking about the Titans here, do we lay all of our cash on the Titans to win the AFC South, right? We'll find out from John. He'll have some uh, some nuggets for us that's on the way. I'm Brian No, He's Jimmy Cook. It's 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. I'm Brian No, He's Jimmy Cook here on The Fan. This kind of sounds like Tennessee, does it not? No doubt. Zach Brown band. Where do they where do they hail from? Do you know, Jimmy? I, I do not. We'll have to check that out. I'm not sure. I almost got arrested at a Zach Brown concert. Did I tell you that story? I don't think you have. <laughs> I'll have to tell you that on the on the other end here. I want to welcome in John Glennon, Titans beat writer for the uh, Nashville Post, joining us here on the fan. Uh, John, welcome in, bud. So DeAndre Hopkins going to the Titans. It seems like it's just a matter of time till it's official. Uh, how much do you think this does in terms of bumping up that offense over there? I would say a considerable amount, you know. I mean, obviously the Titans have Derrick Henry. Everyone knows what he brings to the table. Um, But wide receiver room was, you know, probably, you know, the most or or the least experienced in the NFL and and arguably one of the worst. You have some guys with potential there. You know, Traylon Burks, first-round pick last year. Kyle Phillips, another rookie who only got to play a couple games last year. Potential, You know, those guys, you know, there was thought that they might be good in coming years, but not certainty. Now, all of a sudden, you're bringing in a guy who's got, you know, 850 career catches, over 11,000 yards, a huge, huge upgrade. You know, that's not only going to provide a great target for Ryan Tannehill, but it's also going to open room and space out there for Traylon Burks, for a promising tight end, the second-year guy, Chigo Conquo. Um, you know, so I, I think this is going to make a, a assuming, of course, assuming that uh, that Hopkins stays healthy. Uh, you know, it's going to make a a very big difference, I think, for this Titans offense. John, is it fair or too far to categorize this as an overcorrection by the front office of the trade of AJ Brown? Uh, I, I think it's fair. I think one thing that that has to be you know remembered too is that this is a different front office. Sure. You know, I, sure. I think. Um, you know, John Robinson was the one who traded away A.J. Brown. Rand Carson is the new general manager, so he's kind of the one that's that's kind of left correcting uh, the, the situation. But, yeah, you know, th- there's no doubt um, that a huge void, uh, you know, was left when they moved A.J. Brown, and it, and it certainly wasn't filled completely last year by Traylon Burks, the guy that they drafted in the first round. So yeah, they're they're still searching, they're still digging out of that and and um, you know, I think this is a huge step in the right direction even though, you know, he's a 31-year-old wide receiver. Uh John Glennon with the Nashville Post joining us here on the fan. I was just uh last hour uh, talking about how I think the Jags are overvalued this season where I think they have the best chance to win the division. But there are a lot of people acting like it's already a done deal. And it seemed like Tennessee, who really struggled with the seven-game losing streak, I think that you're getting more value with the franchise going forward when it's like 4-1. to one, It's a little bit higher than that. I just don't think they're that far behind Jacksonville. Uh, you're the Tennessee Titans guy. Do you think that makes sense? Or is it Jacksonville by far in this division right now? I think, you know, Jacksonville uh, has to be considered the favorite. But, yeah, I, I agree with you. I don't think it's head and shoulders above uh, the Titans by, by any stretch. If you look at the games last year, both very close. Even the last game of the year, the Titans come in there with a six-game losing streak. 
uh, um, you know, playing uh, Josh Dobbs as the starting quarterback, and were ahead in that game until the closing minutes when a turnover was returned for a touchdown, and the Jaguars wound up winning that. So there's not a there's not a massive difference, I don't think, between these two teams. And if you look at it, you know, I, I guess optimistically from a Titans point of view, defense should certainly be better. You're bringing back Harold Landry, a great edge rusher who missed all last year. You added Arden Key, uh, you know, another good edge rusher. Uh, Jeffrey Simmons was held, was only healthy for half of last year. He'll be fully healthy, so your defense is going to be good. And now you've just made a huge upgrade in the offense. The question for the Titans still, if they want to contend for that, uh, that division title, in my opinion, is how is that offensive line going to play out? That still, even, even after DeAndre Hopkins' signing, that to me remains the biggest um, you know, question for the Titans moving forward. John, I know you'll get more clarity on this once the contract is actually signed and agreed to and media availability happens with DeAndre Hopkins, but from those you have talked to, how much of this acquisition of Hopkins and why he chose Tennessee was the money he's making and how much of it was how much he values the relationship of getting to be a part of something with Mike Vrabel again? Yeah, I'm, I'm sure there are, are, you know, to both of those. Uh, you know, obviously, I, I think most of the time it comes down to money. We, we all have seen that uh, plenty of times. And the Titans put a lot on the table, you know, $12 million uh, for each of the year, each of the two years with the, uh, you know, possibility incentives could bring it up to 15 in each of those years. And that's roughly, you know, kind of what he was looking for in terms of being close to the, to the Odell Beckham uh, trade. But that said, you know, the two teams that, that uh, DeAndre Hopkins visited prior to signing, there was both a great deal of familiarity. In New England, there was Bill O'Brien, who obviously was his head coach in Houston and a play caller during some of DeAndre's time there. And in, in the Titans, there was even more familiarity, not only with Vrabel having been there for four years. Tim Kelly, who's now the Titans' offensive coordinator here, was DeAndre Hopkins' OC in 2019 when, when DeAndre Hopkins put up huge numbers there. And then <clears throat> even a third one, Charles London, who is now the passing game coordinator for the Titans, was the Houston Texans' running backs coach uh, when, uh, when DeAndre Hopkins was there. So there's three key people right there that DeAndre Hopkins had a lot of familiarity with, and, and clearly that means something to him. So you have to say it's, it's more than just the money in this situation. You think we see jostling in the NFL all the time, you know, John. And so assuming there's maybe some jostling within this division, do you think the Titans are closer to the Jags right now or closer to the Colts heading into 2023? You know, I would I would uh I would think maybe a little closer to the Jags uh at this point and and I guess, you know, the the main reason I would say that is you know, I, I guess, and you guys obviously know far better than I do, but it sounds as if uh, Indianapolis leaning towards starting Anthony Richardson, you know, as, as quarterback next year. And, and certainly there's a world of potential there, you know, an incredible talent. But if that is indeed the case, that, that he's a starter, you know, there, there can be a little bit of a, uh, maybe a little bit of a, a rough start, you know, a, a learning process, you know, and, until things settle down, you know, possibly. So with that in mind, you know, that, that's one thing at least the Titans won't have to worry about. They've got a veteran uh, quarterback in Ryan Tannehill. That, that part is set. 
And the Titans have just now answered one of their two glaring questions, I think, in DeAndre Hopkins. If they can do something with this offensive line, I, I think they're, you know, the, as we said earlier, they're, they're not too far away from Jacksonville. John Glennon with us covers the Titans for the Nashville Post. John, when you look at all this going on with running backs around the National Football League right now, and the Colts are if they don't get an extension done at some point this year with Jonathan Taylor, the next team to experience this uncomfortable situation that the likes of the Giants and the Raiders are in. We look at Derrick Henry's $50 million contract, Alvin Kamara's $75 million deal, Christian McCaffrey's $64 million contract. Are we officially done with those days of, of big paydays for high-volume backs? I know Henry isn't the pass catcher that Kamara or McCaffrey is, but still impacted the Titans in such a way they paid him premium market money. Are those days done now? It certainly looks that way, doesn't it? You know, when, when you see the uh, the Vikings, of course, this offseason, too, cutting Dalvin Cook, who, you know, still certainly one of the better backs uh, in the NFL it's just it's clear that the that the value is not there and that you know even when the value is there i think is is when titan or excuse me when running backs are very uh young and and early on in their career and even by oftentimes by the end of that first contract you know the, the thought is that that maybe either they have peaked or that they are close to peaking and that because that position goes through such wear and tear that it's just not going to last for a number of years after that, and, and that you can bring in somebody fresh who, even if he is not quite as good, is not going to be a huge drop-off, uh, and you're going to get him for much uh, less money. So I think, you know, running back, you're looking at a position now that general managers are saying, look, we can save some money at running back and get a guy who's, you know, who may not be elite, but is going to be good enough, uh, you know, and, and spend that money, money either on a wide receiver or a quarterback, you know, a cornerback or an edge rusher, some of the other positions that are just considered more important right now. I got to ask you a geeky question before you go, John. Okay, because uh, Nicholas Petit Friere, he was penciled in as the starter at right tackle, but he got popped for six games for gambling. So you mentioned the offensive line. That's the question mark. What is the projected plan in his absence? Who's going to be the guy that's filling in for him? Yeah, that's a very good question right now. You know, there are a few options. You know, it's basically, I think, going to come down to do the Titans want to keep that rest of the offensive line the same, the other four members of the offensive line, and just change at right tackle? If they do that, you've got a veteran like a journeyman and Jamarco Jones. You've got a rookie sixth-rounder and Jalen Duncan. Or you head to the free agent market and, and pick up maybe like a George Fant, you know, someone along those lines. Or your other option is if you want to juggle other parts on that offensive line, probably the guy who has the most right tackle experience is the penciled-in starter at right guard, Daniel Brunskill. So if you move him over to right tackle, then all of a sudden you're playing musical chairs again, though, and you're looking at, okay, who's our starter at right guard, and you're running through the roster again. So that uh, again, that, that's uh, the offensive line is really going to dictate, I think, how well this Titans team does because they have suffered – the last three or four years, they have been one of the worst teams in terms of quarterback protection, and that's with guys like Ben Jones, Taylor Lewan, etc. Now you, you've moved on from some of those guys. You're starting fresh, and there's still plenty of questions to be answered there. Hey, man, great stuff. Good to catch up with you, John. Hope you have a good day, and we'll uh, we'll catch you down the road. Okay, enjoy the cast. Thanks. Thanks, John. Thank you. There he is, John Glennon, Titans beat writer for the Nashville Post. 
Man, you think about that in the division, right, Jimmy? I was just, yeah, kind of singing their praises. All right, I give, I say, giving the Titans more love than most do, <laughs> right? Like, yes. I think they have a, a legitimate chance to win the AFC South. I would not hand it to the Jags automatically. There's more work to be done, but when John brings up the offensive line, you go to the gambler, right? Petit Freer. He's gone for the first six games. So think about this, the pass rushes that they're going to face in the first six games. So reshuffled offensive line. At the Saints, Cam Jordan is a problem. Uh, they host the Chargers. That is a nasty <laughs> pass rush. <laughs> then they're at the Browns with Miles Garrett. They face the Bengals. Who, Trey Hendrickson, those guys can get after the passer. They're at Indy. They'll be fine there. Colts can't rush. I'm kidding. Uh, but, <laughs> I mean, there's a, that's an offensive, or that's a defensive line that has a lot to prove, particularly on the edges. So that's not right. quite the shot that we might think it is. There's, there's they're real, fine there. They're, they're fine. They're yeah. fine. Colts can't put heat on the quarterback. <laughs> uh, and then against the Ravens. So at least their four, first four games, Saints, Chargers, Browns, Bengals, in terms of pass rush, that is not what you want to face when you've got a reshuffled offensive line you're trying to fill in for a right tackle that's popped for six games because he's on his fan duel app. <laughs> right? I love modern society. That's such a great <laughs> sentence. Everything about that is beautiful. Why is he out? He probably got an injury, right? Or maybe like, you know, he, he pulled a calf muscle? No, he was live betting the Saints last year. Oh, well, hey. Yeah. He put some uh, some coin on the Buckeyes from yeah, the Buckeyes, team facility, the right? right? Exactly. Yeah, like it's pretty crazy, but that's the type of stuff you see it every year in the NFL, Jimmy. There will be a team that gets off to a rough start and they just start pressing, 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 and it snowballs and snowballs. And look, it could take a guy. He's not a household name, Petit Freer. He's a third-round pick out of Ohio State last year. Um, that's not a household name, but that's the type of thing that can lead to a couple of losses early and snowball into more losses later. I suppose the only bright side, if you are a futures better of the Titans, if you look at where those games are from a measuring your in-division standpoint, what Browns, Bengals, Titans, yeah. Ravens, Chargers, Saints, not in that order, but that's what you outlined there. For the Jaguars, Colts, Chiefs, Texans, Falcons, Bills. I mean, you're you're starting to have to map things out of regardless of who you're backing to win the South. That could be something that makes or break this division, having a bad start right out of the gate. Like you really need to be able to hope the rest of the offensive line treads water, particularly for Tennessee, if you want to not have to dig yourself out of a very early hole. Or, Uh or Jimmy, Uh if you're Uh a real Uh degenerate Uh and you think the Titans are going to win the South, you can wait. Until that slow start happens, it gets a better odds. There it is. Buy low, man. I love it. I don't hate that at all. I don't don't either. Are you, uh, I don't know, in the market for a potential play just like that there, Eddie? Cannot confirm nor deny. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if I'll be able to find it in time, but the the quote-unquote apology from Petit Freer, oh my gosh, just top shelf. It's basically, I'll paraphrase, it's like, the NFL didn't tell us. I didn't know, but I guess I'm sorry. (laughs) That's really what he was saying. Oh, my gosh. It was so funny. I don't know if I'm going to be able to find it in time. Oh, here it is. Okay, here we go. Look at you. uh, I'm still digging. It's, It's Okay, here it is. Yes, I have found it. 
So if you compare the apologies, Isaiah Rogers of the formerly of the Colts, unfortunately, his apology was I thought very heartfelt. Didn't you think so, Jimmy? Yeah, I it did. was I, did. I don't have it in front of me. He was like, I am sorry, I screwed up, I let my team down, so forth and so on. He just owned it. That's all I ask. Just own it. Own your share of the wrongdoing. Yep. This is Petit Freire, his apology. <laughs> the betting I engaged in was not NFL related, capital letters, not NFL related, and was legal under Tennessee law. It is only being sanctioned because it occurred at the Titans facility. It, I did not knowingly be- break the rules. Even after attending a league presentation, I was unaware about the specifics around placing bets from a team facility. <laughs> here's, here's my issue. He went too far with the it's not my fault game. Like, I'm totally fine within that statement, in his case, being upset because it's not NFL games I bet on. I want to differentiate out in front of this that I was not betting on NFL games. I was betting on football or basketball games within the team facility, right? I, I, that's an important differentiator to have. But then to go further within that and say, <laughs> they didn't tell me, I had no idea. I didn't see the speed limit sign, officer. I right. don't know what you're like. Th- that's, where I, that's where you lose me. Yeah. Yeah, and those were the highlights. He did throw in there, I want to apologize to my family, coaches, teammates, and the Titans fans, yada, yada, yada. But the true bulk of this, <laughs> like, what was it? The uh, the compliment sandwich? Yes. Where you bookend it the, with yeah, positivity. Yeah, the backhanded compliment, exactly. Yeah, and then the in the middle, you just kind of work in your gripe, and then you, you bookend with a, another positive thing. The only way that could have been better is if the part where he actually gets to the apology, if he says, I want to apologize to my family, friends and the entire Titans community for the NFL's lack of transparency. Like just well totally dodge it completely like not apologize for his wrongdoing, but apologize for the NFL not painting it thing. to him allegedly. That's what he did. He did the op- opposite of a compliment sandwich. <laughs> he did the excuse sandwich. Yes, exactly. That's what it was the excuse sandwich. And you watch pro wrestling at all? Did you ever I, I did a little bit, yeah. A little bit. Kid, yeah. You're familiar with The Rock. Sure. You know, one of the bigger names. He had a, a saying, it doesn't matter. Like yep, yep. this, and a lot of people will point this out, these players that get popped. The betting I engaged in was not NFL related and was legal under Tennessee law. It doesn't yeah. freaking matter. I don't care what the state law is. It's what the NFL's gambling policy is. Correct. That's yep. all it is. So that is a Dumb argument, and this is probably carefully crafted by an agent in the inner circle. Well, they're dumb too, because that is a horrible argument. It, I don't care what Tennessee state law is. The only thing that matters is the NFL says you can't bet from the team facility. I think that's stupid. I don't think it makes any sense. I think the NFL is making it harder for themselves, but that's their policy. And if you don't adhere to it, you're going to get popped. And hold up, here we are. Like so, it's just it's a bad argument to make. It doesn't matter. You think it was the same PR group that came up with? Tight up or you think it was a separate operation uh, yeah, it, it very well could be <laughs> it very well could be the same uh outfit right there did you check out wimbledon yesterday jimmy eddie asked me this to start the day and i'm i'm, I'm ashamed of myself I, I saw the highlights i did not watch it um the cards on the table so good it, I, again uh. i'm i'm very mad at myself that i didn't watch it uh 
we did have a wedding on Saturday night, and I probably didn't see the light of day. He was in recovery. Eleven thirty or so the next morning. <laughs> I was getting I was getting lunch. Uh, shout out to Fire by the Monon. Had a delicious tenderloin on Saturday morning, and by the time we got to my in laws' house, uh, the match was final, and I totally forgot about it. So oh, I, I dropped it, the ball. I apologize. It was so good. It was so good. Alcaraz was just nasty. Like he. This sounds over the top. But he's got the sneaky power of Nadal, not to the same level, right? right? But the finesse game of Federer, man, he's got it. Because it was the fifth set. This is like do-or-die type stuff. And he was just playing these beautiful drop shots. Oh, man. Just right over the net. And Joker's just like, dude, I can't eat. I'm, I'm 36. I can't get to that. <laughs> oh, he was tremendous. The yeah. only gripe I had about that is that they wore the exact – same thing. I'm like, I was like, all right, here, common tennis fan. Uh, who's who here? Yeah, <laughs> it was at, at the beginning of the match. It was hard for me to tell. And then just the way they play, you could tell easier as the match went on. At least that's how I felt. But yeah, at the beginning, Eddie, I felt the same way. I'm like, oh, nice shot, Joker. I'm like, wait, that was Alcaraz. <laughs> like they somewhat look alike, too. They have the same yeah. exact hairstyle. Yeah, from you know, like the wide shot when they're just showing the you know the volleys and all that, yep. they do look similar. I got that same effect through the highlight package on Sports Center because they obviously went set by set and they do the jump cuts, and so I'm like, okay, wait, who's yeah. trying to break whose serve? Like it was, yep. yeah, it, same thing. But you're right. As you watch the early goings of that match, it would become easier. But yeah, if you're just watching the highlight package, you're you're gonna really lock in. Otherwise, you're gonna lose yourself quickly. Man, I, I thought it was. I also thought it was the best thing for tennis because Joker, he's still at, you know, he's still playing at a very, very high level. He's probably going to rattle off another Grand Slam or two and, and get to 25. I would imagine he's going to get there. But then you get Alcaraz, this up and coming stud. He's got two majors and he's 20. The guy, Eddie, was born on May 5th, 20, 2003. He's born in 03. <laughs> you know, we were talking about this last week, and it's funny that this happens. Like, to be clear, I, I can name you golfers, but I, I'm usually just a majors watcher. I'm explicitly a majors watcher with tennis, and I'm the Grand epitome Slam. of the Grand Slam. You're right. My apologies. That, that proves my point. I'm a very casual tennis fan, but I'll watch Wimbledon. But we were discussing last week about how, like, it feels like from a big name, like must watch standpoint that that wasn't as prevalent to the casual fan this year. And to your overall point about it being great for tennis that Alcaraz won. Now you look at his achievements as a 20 year old and you look to yourself and realize maybe this is the next big thing in men's singles and something oh, else yeah. that is now must see for the rest of the Grand Slams. Or, or Jimmy, you can sit here like a 24 year old like I am and question what I'm doing with my life. Yeah, well. He's got, try try being know. the same age as Patrick Mahomes. You know, I, I understand. I feel your pain. I'm older than Luca. Come on now. <laughs> How old are you, Eddie? 24. Turn 25 in two months. Are you serious? Yes. I can't believe How you're old only you 24. How old did you think Eddie was? I, I had no idea, but Eddie's got, it's, maybe it's the beard. It's, uh, he looks older than 24. The beard helps. The beard helps his age. You know, he looks older. It's that reverse Yankees effect. Right, you go to New York Holy and you got cow. the baby face, then you leave and it's like, oh my gosh. You So you were born what? 98. September 98. of 98, yeah. Wow. The same year Peyton Manning was drafted, you were born. Yep. Wow. 
I feel old. Goodness, between you and Alcaraz, I am ancient over here. <laughs> Goodness. All right, I'll get to my uh, almost arrest story. I have to pay that off if you're like, wait a minute, what was that about? I might have told this story, so I'll give you the cliff notes. Also, is this the most enti- interesting team in the entire league? I'll make an argument for them. That's up uh, on the way. I'm Brian No, He's Jimmy Cook. It's 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. I'm Brian No. He's Jimmy Cook here on The Fan. Is this like the cell phone version of that song? No. no. This sounds like... Is this, <laughs> is, this, is this Fall Out Boy? It is the Fall Out it Boy. It is Fall Out Boy. Yeah. Is it Fallout Boy or the Fallout Boy there, Eddie? It's Fallout Boy. It's their <laughs> okay. version of We Didn't Start the Fire. They didn't get a music degree from Columbus, to my knowledge, so I think it's just Fallout Boy. <laughs> <laughs> Why did it sound so bad? Is that the live version? What was that? No idea. Wow. I have no idea. Come on, Fallout fall Boy. Get your act together. Goodness. What's going on there? Uh, yeah, so I almost got arrested trying to break into a Zach Brown show. I might have told this story before, so I'll go quick. Do you remember if I've told this before, Eddie or uh, Jimmy? I don't think so. You asked okay. earlier, and I, I don't think you have either. It, you know what? Uh, I'll go quick because I don't know if I have or not. So only this, concert story of yours I remember is like uh, there was it was a park where a, or a band or a band yeah. was performing, and you yeah. were trying to get in. To That's go it. See them. That's what it was. So I did tell you. That's where it was. It was right outside. It was in Indy, <laughs> so it was for the Final Four. And Zach Brown was playing this free concert. And so I'm like, I just grabbed dinner with some friends, and we all went our separate ways. And I'm like, all right, it's a free show. I'm in. And they were like, the park's closed. You can't get in. (laughs) And I'm like, what? What do you mean the park? They're like, no, no one's coming in. (laughs) I'm like, I asked them, I'm like, what would happen if I just kind of like broke in? They're like, oh, you'd get arrested. (laughs) (laughs) And so now I'm like, I got to break into this show here, Jimmy. I'm not a a big fan. He's fine. I like his music. He's a brilliant musician. But I'm like, they said I can't, so I got to, you know? (laughs) And so I went to the other end, and I'm looking for a, a spot to go. They have tarp all around the perimeter. <laughs> and I pick out a spot. There, there aren't people around. And it was tricky because there are people everywhere. And I'm about to hop the fence. And just as I, I squint and I look, there's a guy in a folding chair on the other side of the fence. He would have grabbed me right away. I would have been in the clink for seeing Zach Brown. See, but, and I remember this story because every time I'm disappointed that it doesn't end with you either having victory or defeat, but committing to hopping the fence. Credit to your spidey sense for, for seeing the guy in the folding chair waiting to tackle you to the ground and take you away. Yeah, and listen, maybe I could have juked him, you know? Little maybe Barry I could have spin moved him. Yeah, little Tyreek Hill speed, <laughs> hit, the, hit him with the cheetah. I don't know, but it probably would have gone very wrong, very wrong. So I was just like, okay, don't need to get arrested for Zach Brown. That will not be happening. And I just went home. <laughs> I went if it was Slayer, would you have done it? Oh, gosh. You know, I would have looked for spot number two. <laughs> I'll put it that way. <laughs> I wouldn't have just given up right then. I would have looked for another spot. How about this? So, Hard Knocks, going to feature the Jets, gets underway August 8th, Jimmy. 
August 8th. Okay, that's the date that was released today. First episode. I think the Jets are the most interesting team in the NFL. At least heading into 2023. Because of the unknown. You get Aaron Rodgers going to that team. What's it going to look like? Of course, he's one of the all-time guys. Uh, Shoe-in first ballot Hall of Famer. To see him in a different uniform... Does he hit the ground running with Garrett Wilson? They've got a really good defense. Will they look like true contenders? That There's so much unknown that makes them so much more interesting than the contending teams, the list of teams like they could pop, maybe, maybe not. I think the Jets are at the top of the list. Do you think that's crazy, Jim? No, I don't. I would agree with you going into the year, the Jets would probably be my number one pick. And if I wasn't there, you you convinced me there. My only other potential answer would have been, and this is going to happen depending on how the season goes, eventually the national media is going to turn on Josh Allen. I don't know if this is the year that it happens or not, but you look at where the core top-tier quarterbacks are of this generation. It's him, it's Burrow, it's Mahomes, it's Jalen Hurts. Maybe you could throw Justin Herbert in there, but again, I need to see more from him to put him in that same class. But all those other three have either been to a Super Bowl or won one. Mahomes, of course, has been the only one to win one. The other two have made it. He is not. In fact, they haven't. They've made one AFC Championship game, and that was during COVID. That's it. That's their legacy. So I think that that's going to be a fascinating one to watch as the year unfolds. But going in... I don't say this very often because I think he deserves the booze sometimes, and that's something that you and I disagree with. Tip of the cap to Roger Goodell or whoever had the stones to force the Jets to do hard knocks because Mm. of the names that were floated out there as potential candidates or eligible teams, they are the only one I'm legitimately interested in watching. I'm not saying I wouldn't have given a look the other ones. I am fascinated captivated, dare I say, about what Hard Knocks is going to look like for the New York Jets. Yeah, it was down to the Bears, Saints, or Commanders, which, (laughs) the the funny thing is, this happens every year where they're like, oh, this team, yuck, that's not interesting. Hard Knocks could make a team of you, me, and Eddie, and like eight other people. And we'll sprinkle in like, I don't know, 40 other dudes at training camp. They'd make that interesting. Sure. They do a tremendous job. HBO pulling. films or Max yes. films, whatever they are now, top notch. Yep, yes, sure. yes. But it helps when you have those interesting and compelling storylines with the Jets. I just think of it, if you can only watch one team in week one, one game, like which game are you choosing? I have to see what the Jets look like. Thankfully, I can watch every team, which I absolutely will do. But if I can only see one team, and it's just who's interesting, who's the most compelling, put your favorite team to the side. I think it's the Jets. I would throw the Niners in the mix just to see, hey, what's the quarterback situation there? Is it Brock Purdy? What does he look like? I think he was severely overrated last Mm -hmm. year. But but I want to see what that looks like. But I would put the Jets at the top of the list. It's kind of jockey. Right, like the more teams lose, the less interesting they become. The more they win, if they coupled with the storylines, the more interesting they become. So it's going to jockey, but at the beginning, man, it's the Jets for me. Most interesting. Now I'm going I'm to back you on that, especially week one, because you look at the other matchups that are around the league, and you know I'm removing my bias here. Like, yes, I'm excited about the opener for Kansas City and Detroit, but. I mean, that could very well be a good matchup. Everybody's high on Detroit and what they could do this year. Maybe steal the North with Aaron Rodgers gone and whatever the Vikings do. But the rest of the schedule, 
Buccaneers, Vikings, Steelers, 49ers, Eagles, Patriots. It's week one, so we'll be juiced, but schedule makers got this one right because it's Monday night football. It's Bills and Jets. And that's a real early grappling for momentum, not only in the East, but for the two. How about that? The two teams we mentioned was not planned. Two teams we mentioned of most intrigue are going to duke it out right away on Monday Night Football. I'm, I can't yeah. wait for that. I know. Right? Could you imagine not seeing that one? <laughs> like You have no. one, one game to pick and you pick something else and you are not seeing the Jets host Buffalo on Monday Night Football in week one. That's something I don't want to miss out. Chargers, on. Dolphins. I mean, like I know I'm playing to your heartstrings there, yeah. but like that could be a fun matchup. I, I just I still don't think that anybody, even if it wasn't Monday night, like if that game's just a one o'clocker for some reason on Sunday, that would still probably be my best of this opening slate for Week One in the NFL. Yeah, I, it's up there. Certainly is. I also think that your guy hurts Rodgers. I think that Mahomes is hurting Aaron Rodgers. Like, and I know people roll their eyes at the legacy talk, but it's really how will he be remembered? And so I think you used to hear this for a lot of years. It'd be like, eh, Tom Brady has seven Super Bowls, but man, Aaron Rodgers is so talented. You know, <laughs> you, you would hear that year in and year out. And now that Mahomes has come along and he's more talented and he's had more success individually early on team wise like he's had more team success already than Aaron Rodgers has had so I don't think you hear that as much of man Rodgers is just so supremely talented I think that his his uh pedestal has been knocked down a couple of notches because Mahomes has come along and listen there's no doubt Aaron Rodgers is incredibly talented but when it's not coupled with the team success when he's just got one ring over the course of, you know, the better part of two decades in the league, like, that's just not enough. It's not enough when a young gun has more already in Mahomes. I think that hurts him. I totally agree with you. It all depends on where you sit on the line of what matters more for a quarterback's legacy. Is it numbers? Is it stats? It it, it separates you apart. You have to at least get one, right? In order to be in those conversations, you need one Super Bowl, but what matters more? And you pushed back on this. A lot of people push back on this take, but you and I had this when, you know, when we first started doing shows together. And I am in that camp where, yeah, Aaron Rodgers is the greatest quarterback I've seen play. Like The things he can do on a field. It doesn't necessarily mean that like I'm taking a shot at Tom Brady or I don't think that like Tom Brady is one of the greatest of all time. But yeah, Aaron Rodgers captivates me in a way that Tom Brady just didn't on, on, a, on a week in and week out basis. And you throw the championships in there, conversation's over. You took a look at the playoff success, conversation's over. And I'm not saying that that's not a fair angle to have, but that was, you're right, what Rodgers hung his hat on. And Mahomes got those Rodgers comps of the arm angles and his just ability to improvise and, and make throws you've never seen before. Mahomes has done that more often, more consistently at a younger age and has the two rings to boot that, yeah, I mean, there's a danger there where you look back at all-time great quarterbacks and Mahomes is the name that comes up first before Rodgers. I don't disagree with you there at all. Yeah, and the thing to me, Jimmy, I'm curious how you feel about this, is like the whole thing about talent. Yeah, talent matters. Talent is important. But when talent is prioritized over like just winning, yeah. like the Tom Brady versus Aaron Rodgers thing, what does talent really mean? 
it means that you're putting your position, your team in a position to win. That, that's really what it means. That's the benefit of great talent. And so Aaron Rodgers, yeah, I would argue he's more talented than Tom Brady. He can move around better. He has a little bit more arm talent, certainly. But why would that take precedent over Brady being a much better winner? <laughs> That's just insane to me. It's not like Tom Brady was playing with this incredibly talented supporting cast and they were dragging him to a Super Bowl like the Broncos drug you know Peyton Manning at the end of his career that's not the case and so if you look at the Patriots and Tampa compared to the Packers it's comparable it's advantage Packers over a lot of those Patriot teams that are winning Super Bowls just in terms of talent overall on on the the roster so when we're talking about just individually talent Rodgers is more talented I shrug my shoulders and I'm like cool what does it really mean because if he's yeah. not getting it done when it matters most, I don't care how talented he is. I mean, I think it goes back to the metric, and this is not necessarily new age or old age. It's just how you feel about sports from a fan perspective and a team like inside locker room standpoint. Winning is the only thing that matters. Your collective sum of your parts, getting the job done, no matter what the odds are against you and, and having championship success with it. For a lot of people, though, and I kind of view it because I hate the ring culture conversations. Wins are not exclusively, and they aren't a quarterback, a wide receiver, or a running back stat. They are a team metric. What I look at more, and Brady does have a sizable lead on Aaron Rodgers in this stat, is like game-winning drives. Tom Brady's the all-time leader in game-winning drives, like 58 or 60, something like that. I think Rodgers has 35. Like th- There are enough metrics to point to Tom Brady where, yes, in winning moments, he rises to the occasion. But for me, like. If, if the benchmark for quarterback greatness is he won seven Super Bowls or he was on seven Super Bowl winning teams, nobody will ever touch that and he's the unquestioned greatest of all time. If the conversation is more nuanced and more layered to that of, wow, this guy wins three Super Bowls, let's say like someone like Mahomes, for example, or Joe Burrow, they win three rings and they did things better at the quarterback position than Brady did. Is Brady better because he was on more championship teams? I mean, it, it's all about how layered that discussion is. And if it's not layered and it's just he won seven Super Bowls and was a key factor in all of them, no one's ever going to touch that. Same thing with basketball and Jordan going six for yeah. six. Is that all we're looking at? Like, I I don't know. I, I think that, look, man, when you've got – Brady's got the individual numbers. He's got all the team numbers. Sure. Got everything. And he played longer than anybody. Yeah. He checks every yep. box. Yep. And yet there are these dorks that just don't want to embrace the truth and they're trying to shoehorn some reason that doesn't make sense into the equation. I just, the whole argument of, or question of, hey, how talented is he? I ask a different question. How effective is he? That's what it really boils down to. I know that Brady isn't, you know, uh, talented to the degree Aaron Rodgers is, or think about a guy we just saw in basketball, Nikola Jokic. Nikola Jokic does not look like one of these guys where his game is just exquisite, and you're like, wow, right? But he's so effective. I don't care how talented players are. I care how effective they are. And there's no one that's been more effective than Brady. So I don't care that he doesn't run a 4-5-40. It doesn't matter. Yeah, I mean, I'm look, I'm not going to push back and, and argue of Tom Brady being the greatest quarterback of all time by every metric but I'm from from my standpoint and it probably doesn't matter right like you've you push that away and I get it I want to be captivated at that position and I want to know that you were the most dominant in your position was Brady that absolutely 
I don't know. I've enjoyed watching Aaron Rodgers more, and I enjoy watching Patrick Mahomes more. And yes, there's bias there, but with Mahomes and every quarterback that comes after him, you mentioned that efficiency standpoint. And this is this is what's going to happen in the national conversation. We won't use Mahomes. We'll use Burrow because I don't. I want my bias out of it. Mm-hmm. Okay. If Joe Burrow wins four Super Bowls but plays long enough to hold almost every record Brady has, like passing yardage and total touchdowns. And, does the conversation shift where maybe there's a better quarterback of all time? Or do we accuse people of lowering the bar because a team won the championship, but the credit solely goes to that quarterback? That's well, what I'm fascinating yeah. with the next generation of all of this talk is what happens. Where is the bar? Do the goalposts get moved or is it exclusively put your rings on the table and that's all that matters? Uh, this might be a terrible cherry on top. And I hear you. That's an interesting thing because I, I think it, it depends. Where sometimes it sounds insane, but uh, four rings mixed with whatever else you bring to the table. Seven MVPs. Yeah, you're right. Some might look at that and say, well, there was that one year where, you know, your offensive line was gambling and (laughs) you didn't make it very far in the playoffs. Right. It, it, It depends. It depends on how it exactly shakes out. If we flip flopped Brady and Rodgers. Okay, Uh, like Rodgers is the guy in Foxborough for all those years. Rodgers is in Green Bay. What do you think the ring count is? Just ballpark it. What do you think your gut feeling tells you? I don't think it changes. So really? Okay, so you say Brady would still be as decorated as he is? No, no, I'm sorry. I thought you meant for the teams. No, I I, I meant for switching those two quarterbacks. If you put Rodgers in... You put Rodgers in New England, I don't think the ring count changes in a negative capacity. I don't. Oh, I totally disagree. Completely disagree. Because Rodgers, you look at what he's done in the playoffs a lot of times. Just, like, what did they score against the Niners? I know the Niners have a good defense. They scored a touchdown their first drive. That was it. That was like a, a blocked punt was enough to swing it in the Niners' favor. Like, there are so many dud performances by Rodgers in the playoffs. I do not see anything close to six rings in Foxborough if that's where Rodgers was. I can't speak to, because I don't remember off the top of my head, and some of that was during my younger days as a sports fan. I can't speak to every single personnel piece that was there, but you could ask anybody from an NFL aficionado standpoint. I would much rather charge my luck as a top-tier quarterback with Bill Belichick than I would Mike McCarthy. Like, that's that's where my discussion starts with that in terms of I think he'd be okay out there. I think he's I a good enough it. quarterback or he'd be fine because it's Bill Belichick instead of Mike McCarthy. I get it, but, man, it's been slim pickings for Belichick ever since Brady sure. left. He's, what, 25 and 25? Sure. But look at Pete Carroll, what he did with Geno Smith last season. Like. Losing Russ was supposed to be this huge thing, and they exceeded expectations, made the playoffs. Meanwhile, you look at Belichick. I mean, Mac Jones is a guy that can throw the ball forward. You know, he's not a complete but disaster. That, over the, they can't win. Sure. and that get, But that gets into the – and that's happening in basketball right now. The, it's a chicken and the egg conversation of a tale as old as time. Does Phil Jackson deserve any credit, or does Michael oh. Jordan and Kobe Bryant deserve the, like that, that? That's a conversation that happened. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between.
happens ad nauseum because where do you put it? And I always, is this sitting a fence perhaps, but I think both parties helped one another become as great as they were. I do too, but it's advantage Brady, like easily. It's a 70-30 type thing. But is it only that way because unlike Belichick, Brady had the opportunity to go to a team from a roster construction standpoint, particularly on the defensive end that was built to compete with just a quarterback of his stature and Belichick stuck with scraps in New England? Like, is that why the edge happens? Because Brady won a Super Bowl? Like, is that why? I mean, I just go by, think about how Brady entered the league like, he's sure. a first-year starter. We're talking about, like, you know, think about Anthony Richardson as a first-year starter. He's a rookie, so it's not the same thing. Or Jordan Love would be a first-year starter. Sure. Can you imagine Jordan Love in the Super Bowl, backed up, I forget what yard line they started off, inside their own 20, I want to say, and they nickel and dime their way all the way down the field? I completely agreed with John Madden where he's like, this, they should punt. They should not be doing this at all. And I was like, yeah, what are they doing? He's a first-year starter doing that. Like, that's just insane. And I know they played great defense those first three Super Bowls, but he's throwing to guys like Deion Branch and David Givens. He had a bunch of number twos around him. He's winning bowls. Like, it's just insane what Tom Brady has done in his career. Insane. And and I, I think there's it's not just black and white in terms of like I'm not sitting here and denying the greatness of that. But if you value a quarterback as highly as Brady or if you come close with it, whether it's Rodgers, whether it's the Colts did it here with Peyton, like when that debate was raging on of who's better of the two of them before mm-hmm. Brady you know, got clear separation on that front was, well, if you put Manning in New England, what happens? Like, I don't think they're a worse team because you put a comparable or still highly talented quarterback there. That's the way I valued Bill Belichick and what he was able to build there. Well, last thing I'll say real fast, when we got to get to your picks here, is it's not just talent. It's not just numbers. It's also, are you a unifier? You know, and, yeah. and Tom Brady, much more unifying a team than Rogers. Yeah, I'm not, like not going to win that battle. I, yeah, no, <laughs> like from a leadership yes. standpoint? Yeah. Like, oh my gosh. Like, Brady is much more unifying. Rodgers is a me guy. Like, how many ex-teammates of Brady's say negative things about him the way some of Rodgers' ex-teammates do? Like, you don't hear it ever. And you hear it routinely with some of Rodgers' guys. So, I I think it's more than just numbers and talent. The leadership thing factors in. All right, we got to get to your picks around the corner. Jimmy, I need a winner, okay? (laughs) You and me both. Your Yankees yesterday. My July seventh, my July sixteenth Yankees let me down. A day to live in for me in the Brian oh. No betting catalog. <laughs> so bad. Uh, we get uh, uh, some winning gambling picks around the corner. I'm Brian No. He's Jimmy Cook. It's ninety three five and one zero seven five. The fan. I'm Brian No. He's Jimmy Cook here on the fan. Man, you gotta love that Eddie Garrison. You know. He's got his listening ears on. Some stuff might go over the top. You know, might gloss over. But if he's like, this is an opportunity to troll. He will hear that. He never misses a beat on that opportunity. <laughs> never once. <laughs> Some Dave Matthews band. Not not a huge fan of them in concert. Not a, not a yeah. Huge that fan definitely of. didn't come up in like the middle of the show that that was in the cards. Yeah, definitely yeah, didn't have yeah. insider trading information on that one. You know, uh, you never know where we're going to go on this show. That's the beauty of it, Jimmy Cook. Okay, so we got to earn some money over here. It was brutal with your Yankees letting me down yesterday. So we need to rebound. Let's win some money, shall we? The Jay Cook Plays of the Day. This is me, all right? I'm not a athlete. This is my way. This is how I win. 
Today's plays of the day, a five-game slate for us to begin the week. We're going to take the Los Angeles Dodgers to win on the money line, plus 100 there against the Baltimore Orioles. Also going to take the Los Angeles Angels' first five innings over the New York Yankees, that at minus 140. Give me the Miami Marlins, minus 110 over the St. Louis Cardinals. What? The Boston Red Sox, minus 155 over the Oakland Athletics. And to close it out, the Cincinnati Reds, plus 125 to win on the money line today over the San Francisco Giants. Eddie, you've been out a while. Any, wow. any bets out of the gate or no? I've got two. Um, I'm going one in the Reds game. I will take the under five and a half through the first five innings. Logan Webb on the mound, which is not a good sign for the Reds because uh, he's a very, very good pitcher against lefties, and the Reds are going to try to load up with lefties. It's just a bad recipe right there. Uh, and then Jesus Lozardo for the Miami Marlins. I'm going over 16 and a half outs. Uh, the Miami Marlins bullpen yesterday got beat up. Big time. So they need Lozardo to go a little bit of the distance tonight. I like that. It's good uh, thought process by you. What is up with your Reds offense over there, Eddie? Goodness. Uh, I think they're still on the all-star break. Man. That's my, uh, that's my, my, my theory. <laughs> they got shut out three games in a row against the Brewers and then gave up a 3-2 lead. They got swept, did they not? Uh, yes, they did. Yeah. They, they got swept and they lost that game because they just forgot how to play baseball. Yeah, that's, that's always uh, it's not good. Not good when you forget to play baseball while playing baseball, you know? You playing anything? You know what? I haven't been able to dive in. I like uh, some of the things that you guys are thinking of. The Red Sox have been hot. And what are they against the the A's? You said like minus 155? 155, yep. That's not too bad. Not bad at all. It makes me wonder a little bit. Is that... uh, You going to parlay Red Sox Yankees again? (laughs) I, probably not. <laughs> and it's just such a Joe Public parlay, right? You know what I mean? Like, I'll go Yankees, Red Sox. And it should have hit. I thought it was a good time. Have. All right, Greg Rakestraw coming up in for JMV. Keep it locked right here on The Fan.